Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me this week and always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Incredible, Darren. Darren, I love you. You say you say that you say that this is you're feeling above par is what you're saying. I, I, I came in today and Darren I don't think was expecting me. There was all of this podcast gear. I was like, oh it's all set up. And his his recording equipment was was ready. It was like, Wow, you're you're all set up early and he was like sweating a little bit. He was in he was in this study. Study was looking nice, he's wearing a nice shirt. I was like I pulled down my sunglasses. I looked at you over the edges of them. Uh, yeah, I was I was ready to go to, to my work, which is not podcast related. And Andrew just grabbed me back in and recorded a podcast yeah. with me right now and there. It's like, oh, wow. Is it, were, were you working late at that conference there? Yeah. Um, I mean, work has been has been very busy lately, Andrew, I'm afraid. Um, but yes, we are talking in case listeners have not guessed from that incredibly awkward, um, otherwise very surreal behind the scenes glimpse at life behind the podcast. <laughs> we are talking, we're continuing our season of bird watching. We're talking about Brad Bird's The Incredibles, the 2004 Pixar film. And joining us for this discussion, as they did last week, as they will next week, first of all, the amazing Graham Day. How are you, Graham? Uh, I'm missing Bake Off, so this better be amazing. We did offer to postpone it so that you could watch Bake Off. To be <laughs> I know, I'm only messing, I'm only messing, I'm only messing. I could do without Paul, Paul Hollywood's icy blue eyes for one night. Do you live tweet, or...? No, God, no. I just enjoy it with my, with my other half. So... Oh, I see. But wasn't it for is, you? Is, is, is Breed watching it now? Oh, no, no. no. We're, we're very silly in that we do the whole thing of if we're both into something, we don't watch ahead watch in front oh, of the other. That's, so. not, that's, not, that's silly. not silly. That is right. That is the, Petrina that is... recently watched. So, uh, I, well, oh, no, like, now's, now's, my, now's my venting corner. Yeah, now's I walked my in and she was watching the Ozarks. Oh. I was like... What? First what are you called, doing? First of all, it's called Ozark, yeah. not the Ozarks. Which is a place. No, no. <laughs> this is the Ozarks family. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, they're... they're I they're can tell you were very invested in this thing you were watching together, Andrew, that you're but at. But I was like, they, they, how could you do this to me? <laughs> like, they, this, this, this is prestige television mm? about money laundering. This is this is it's like got Laura right Linney in it. My, yeah, yeah. I should be watching this too. How could you do this to me? <laughs> you know how uh, much I love Laura Linney. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no- Jason Bateman, I can take her. Yeah, yeah that's um, fair. That's fair. You can. But uh, and also returning the sensational Deirdre Malumbi. How are you, Dee? I am very good. And don't even get me started down this whole trail of other halves and. I ask him how many times can we watch this show together and he's like no 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 and then I start and then he's like don't watch anymore without me I'm like we're crying out loud (laughs) I just want to watch good TV not the same show over and over again why is this so difficult (laughs) it's really really great that we've begun the conversation about The Incredibles by jumping right to what The Incredibles is about it's about dysfunctional marriages where people do things in secret without telling the others diversity of opinion though from from different sides of it yeah, yeah um, I feel like I am in no way qualified to contribute this. So I'll, I'll let the, the two of you who are married and the one of you who is engaged to continue this conversation. Um, but yes, we are talking about The Incredibles, the 2004 superhero movie from Pixar Studios, directed by Brad Bird. Picking up where we left off last week, uh, he directed The Iron Giant. It had been a fantabulous flop. 
Uh, massive disappointment for everybody involved. Uh, he spent several years kind of wandering through the wilderness looking for a new project, and he got in touch with an old friend from CalArts. They'd studied together in the late 70s. John Lotsahuggin Lasseter, no. who was head of Pixar. Oh, dear. Yes. Uh, Lasseter, by the way, who is still friends with Bird to this day, we mentioned Raygun last week as a project that Bird had never managed to materialize. It is now on the Skydance animation slate. Oh. Uh, John Lasseter is producing that. Brad Bird will direct Raygun for Skydance animation uh, in the coming weeks. But basically, Lasseter reached out to him and said, hey, would you like to come to Pixar and bring your unique Brad Birdian energy to our kind of studio? Avian, you could like, say. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to spread your wings? Uh, take a bunch of young artists under them as well. It'd be another uh, feather in our cap. Oh, very nice. Uh, we don't want you hawking your wares around Hollywood, you know. <laughs> come, come on, come on. <laughs> I can do this all day. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, before we talk a little bit about the Incredibles, I want to ask you guys: Did you guys see it when it first came out? Did you see it in the cinemas? So, D, when was the first time you saw this movie, and what is kind of your memory of it? Yes, uh, we did see it in the cinema. Me and my family, we have a big tradition. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but we do have a big tradition of like going to see the latest Disney movie or Pixar movie on the big screen. Um, I'm the eldest of five, so we're very like familial. I suppose you could say. Um, And we've just always been like big fans of like Disney and Pixar and, you know, DreamWorks animation as well. They're the kind of, you know, genre and uh, body of movies that we can all... My cat is rubbing against my microphone right now. (laughs) (laughs) Which one is it? It's it's Pippin. I'll I'll briefly show him on camera. There's Pippin. <laughs> he's oh, just paper. smelling. He's like, what is he they they know they like guys, they sit on like the TV remote, they sit on my phone, like they know the things that take my they're attention. Of chaos. <laughs> they're, amazing. Well, they're the things that, they're the things that compete for your affection. Exactly. With yeah. Exactly. I, um I think Pippin Pippin heard bird and she's like, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, brings um, in like a DVD of Ratatouille and leaves it on the floor as a gift. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that would be amazing. Uh, but uh, as I was saying, yeah, yeah. So no, I did see it on the big screen and we all immediately loved it. Um, got it on DVD later. I don't think we ever got this one on video because remember I was mentioning with Iron Giant how we did get it on video. But I think that by the time Incredibles came around, we were into the DVD age. So we definitely got it on DVD and we have watched it like multiple times since seeing it in the cinema. Um, and Graham, did you see this on initial release or did you find it later? Uh, yeah, I saw it on initial release. I definitely, it was, what was it, 2004, 2005? 2004, I yeah. believe. So like the year after Ang Lee's Hulk, the year before Christopher Nolan's Batman. Oh, began. that's so sweet that you th- that you put in Ang Lee's Hulk there. I love that film. Um, yeah, um, I remember seeing it in the cinema. I can't remember specifically, you know, was it parents who brought me? Would I, did I go with friends? Uh, but I, yeah, I definitely saw it in cinema on its initial release. And uh, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I know we have it on DVD. Now you have it on Disney+. Plus. That's less impressive. But yeah, having the DVD and having a physical copy is, I think, more fun if if that makes sense to to have to have a physical copy of it like kind of that kind of level of ownership and just kind of like dedication is um really fun i think because i i don't know why i like collecting things so the having the dvd was great well they did remaster it for disney plus when you watch it on disney plus you are watching a remastered oh. version of it remastered i believe to 2k and then upscaled to 4k as well and obviously they don't change much 
Uh, they obviously re-render from the original assets, <laughs> but they did, I believe, the big change in this movie is that they changed the color of red and orange that they use for explosions. Oh. oh. Uh, that was apparently the big remastering change that they made to the special edition of this on Disney+. Plus. I wouldn't have picked that up. And actually, this time re-watching it, I did watch it on Disney+, Plus, but I yeah, wouldn't have picked that up at all, to be honest. There was one scene that I was like, could have remastered that scene. Well, well, we'll maybe talk about that. Does anyone, little... when they go on Disney+, Plus, think, oh, I, I should ask people if they want to do a watch party yeah darren will have already seen this like four times in advance of having watched it i have only probably midway through it (laughs) right now he would have to go back and start again i am i only watched it twice because we moved up this recording this recording (laughs) schedule happened uh, way way ahead of where i anticipated you're still gonna watch it another couple yeah just as well today (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. sorry andrew did you did you see uh the incredibles when it was released in cinemas or how did you come to it what what time of year was it uh, I believe it was November-ish. November 2004. Yeah. I was still in nappies. I was 18. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, uh, I, I think I did see it in the cinema. Um, it might not have been like straight away, but it, it could have been kind of late in its, um, in its release. It could, could have been closer to Christmas. I'm not sure. Uh, uh- I think I did, though. I think I did see it in the cinema. And I want to ask D here as the like the one of the four of us who's kind of like jumped ahead, who's done the reading way ahead of time, who like when we announced this series was like, I'm going to watch all the movies and possibly all the movies that aren't on this series as well and get a big sense of Brad Bird. Where does The Incredibles fall for you in terms of Bird's filmography? I think this won't be a spoiler to anybody who listened last week. Exactly. No, it is my favorite. It is my favorite one. Um, I also rewatched Incredibles 2 in preparation for this podcast yes. and the two Incredibles shorts. So that shows how <laughs> yeah. much of a geek I am. What's the second one? I know Jack-Jack Attack. What's the second it's one? It's also Jack-Jack. I think. Um, yeah. there's, uh, Jack-Jack Attack is the first Yeah, Jack-Jack Attack. One. And the other one is, oh, I forget the name of it. But basically, and it's a similar enough kind of premise to The Incredibles yeah. in in like it's what happened then so Incredibles 2 basically fills out what was happening when Edna Mode was babysitting Jack Jack oh I have yeah yeah I remember yeah, that yeah. I forget I forget the name of it now A Day with Edna or something along those lines I really should remember Jack- Alla Mode uh, so probably was to be honest I just well Jack Jack Attack I suppose has more yeah, memorable name but uh, yeah no my my favourite uh, Brad Bird movie is The Incredibles so I'm very much looking forward to like geeking out and talking about all the reasons why I love this movie <laughs> uh, there are so many there, there are so 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 many like this is a fascinating movie in terms of where it comes for Bird where it comes for Pixar like we promise we won't spend the entire podcast talking about subtext. <laughs> we'll talk about why it's awesome too. <laughs> but like, I think it is important to put this in the context of like where Pixar, not subtext, context, oh, okay. different sorry, thing. Sorry. Subtext, uh, context. Yeah. No Pro- subs on this, please. Thank you very much. Production. The, only, the only subs we want are in our RSS feed. Thank you very much. Okay, okay. <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> anyway, my, my, what are you implying? My, Anyway, so yeah, just in terms of like positioning The Incredibles in terms of like Pixar's run, uh, this is obviously, so Pixar debut with Toy Story back in 1997, and they have this incredible run of like five films, like straight out of the gate, where it is, you know, it's Toy Story, it's A Bug's Life, it's Toy Story 2, it's Monsters, Inc., it's Finding Nemo. And of those like five movies, all of them are critically acclaimed. They, you know, they become like, they all get like nominations at the Oscar for Best Animated Feature, for example. Uh, They also like... All of them except A Bug's Life earn more than the previous film. So there's this weight of expectation 
on them as well. And what happens is that, like, by the time you get to Finding Nemo, where Andrew Stanton is directing that, all of the original Pixar brain trust, John Lasseter, Pete Docter, Andrew Stanton, have all directed movies for the studio. And the studio is at this stage engaged in like a negotiation with Disney, where Disney kind of want to buy them and want to own them and just want them to turn out mindless sequels to movies that were already popular. And Pixar is trying to find its own feet. At this point, I believe Steve Jobs is desperately trying to get Warner Brothers or Fox to sign on as a possible distributor for Pixar movies. So the studio really needs to go out into the marketplace and prove that not only can it do what it's already done, it can push the boundaries of what is possible in animation. So that is why um, Lasseter goes to Bird, who is not one of the original Pixar brain trust. He does become one of the obviously recurring Pixar directors. He directs Ratatouille, directs, as we mentioned, Incredibles 2, all that sort of stuff. But Lasseter goes to him and says, well, look, we want to try something new. And what we want to try is giving somebody complete creative control of a Pixar project. Because up until this point, Pixar movies have been designed by the brain trust. We talked when we talked about like uh, Finding Nemo, about how Pixar have these rules of storytelling. How before they make movies, they sit down in rooms with 20 or 30 people, they break them out, and they kind of figure out what they are and take them apart and put and them back together. And they all together. get pregnant. Uh, <laughs> and then they have yeah. Pixar babies. <laughs> and then they have Pixar babies. Uh, and those Pixar babies are working on Finding Dory 3. Um, oh, God. But oh, no. The... <laughs> but the thing with The Incredibles was, what if we tried a different approach? What if we hired you, Brad Bird, one of the most exacting writers and directors who has ever worked in animation with one of the strongest personal visions that you have to come in and basically do your project from top to bottom. Like The Incredibles began uh, as a pitch that Bird put together, I believe, in 1993 when he was working on The Simpsons. The original genesis of the movie was, it's, it's in the opening lines, it's not really a spoiler, but the question of like, who wants to be super all of the time? The idea that Bird was like, I am doing this incredible thing, uh, if you pardon the pun. I'm committing myself to this work that I'm doing. I'm like putting this art out into the world. I'm working these incredible hours doing this thing that is greater than me. But where am I going to find time for like my wife and my kids? And we should make a movie. That That's the thing that interests me as a filmmaker. And that is kind of the idea that develops into The Incredibles. That's the starting nugget of The Incredibles is Brad Bird wondering like, can he be incredible all the time or does he have to maybe take some time and spend it with his family as well? I didn't mean, I didn't mean to start laughing, by the way, but I just heard in my end when you, my head when you start talking about the pitch, I was like, but what if a soul had a gun? You literally <laughs> reminded us of this. Always remember that. That you reminded us of that. I know, I can't what? stop. What if a really hero had a super? Yeah, yeah, no. Like, um, so <laughs> I mean, can, we, can we agree on that? Yeah, no, it wasn't bad. Like, some, somewhere that movie is already being yeah. lit by somebody who listens to this podcast. They're like, actually, that's a pretty they good They better pitch. credit us. I swear to God, guys. And star Nicolas Cage as the gun. <laughs> I was going to say Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it yeah. feels like a Keanu Reeves movie. It's Nicolas like, Cage yeah. and Keanu Reeves. Let's go wild. What if a soul had a gun? But yeah, like, because obviously, like, it's 2004. It's worth, again, just mentioning, like, what was happening in animated movies in 2004? Because obviously, we talked about, like, The Iron Giant. That was the end of the Disney animation boom. That was the end of the Disney Renaissance. That was the end of, like, 90 studios trying to compete with it in hand drawn animation. By 2004, the other studios had learned that this CGI racket is a pretty good deal. <laughs> so let's let's run down some of the other animated movies from 2004 to put The Incredibles in context. Let's, let's not do that, Darren. Let's run them all down. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Let's Not say every movie. Um, 
Disney, yeah. Disney produces the Home on the Range. Does anybody remember yeah. Home on yes. the Range? Yes, I remember it because I think uh, this is from what I remember, but wasn't it their like kind of last major yeah. 2D traditionally animated release? And I remember going to see it because they kind of actually were marketing it as that at the time, yeah, which I was were. quite surprised at, um, that they were actually saying, guys, this is it. And then when I watched it, I was like, yeah, we're probably this grand. <laughs> this is it, yeah. This does feel like it, yes. <laughs> You're right. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Uh, well, it was, I believe it was a hybrid of cell and computer animation as well. So it was like one foot in two doors. I mean, Meet the Robinsons what? was right. How does that even count? <laughs> well, cell cell shading is is uh, most animation is done now in cell shading, at least over such uh, animation. So it, it it's it's mm. it's a weird combination that can come out with some really interesting designs, character wise oh, and world wise. Un- undoubtedly, but it's like if that's going to be the selling, like if the selling point is <laughs> is going to be how it's not how it's our last two D animation, yeah. yeah. Uh, it feels like cheating. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, again, this is after like Atlantis and after uh, what was the other Treasure Planet? I love Treasure. I, treasure I saw Treasure Planet like two weeks ago, and I really liked it. So much fun. Yeah, I rewatched. <laughs> um, I, it sounds like I rewatched Treasure Planet and Atlantis recently, ish actually, because I did a book club for. Um, uh, Treasure Island, and I was surprised at how like loyal it was to it. But I I rewatched. Uh, Treasure Planet and Muppets Treasure Island for that. And I actually, oh, I actually think fair, Treasure Planet. I actually think Treasure Planet is a better movie, probably. Really, really. Yeah, I'm not mad about Muppet Treasure Island at all. Now, I love Muppet Christmas Carol, one of my favorites. Mm. But um, you didn't care for Tim Curry. He's like the only good thing about that movie. Yeah, like even I mean, the Muppets yeah. are just not on. They're just not on for that movie, guys. <laughs> yeah. What What do Sattler and Waldorf have to say about that? Okay, we've. I want it noted we have gotten through one of the movies on the Dragon's list. This is the same year that that DreamWorks followed up Shrek with the less enjoyable Shrek Two. No, Darren, and that's one of my favorite animation movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, Shrek Two is funny. <laughs> Shrek Two is so good. Is this a Fox in the Hound scenario the all one? over again? <laughs> What's the third one, Darren? <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to talk about context. I'm, I'm so annoyed. No, 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 no. Um, let, okay, let, okay. Let's all talk right, about all right. How annoyed I, we are. I do the. <laughs> Shrek 2 is underrated is what Darren thank you Darren I'll accept Um, that Darren Darren held it in for like Treasure Planet yeah no that that was what Andrew was laughing at you could see me biting I was looking at Darren's face when Graham was saying like it's good it's good animation is gorgeous and I'm glad you enjoyed it um sorry that that was mean I apologize for that um I've learned not to repeat the cats don't dance conversation from that. <laughs> <week. laughs> um, quest for Camelot, baby. So yeah, the same year DreamWorks also released, uh, very much coasting off the success of Finding Nemo, Shark, Shark Tale. Tale. Oh, that was gr- that's such a gross film. I love Shark Tale. <laughs> oh yeah, with weird, weird uh, anthropomorphic Angelina Jolie fish. Yeah, it's so weird. I I saw an interview where Will Smith. T- I saw an interview where Will Smith talked about how upset he was that they animated his ears <laughs> into Oscar the fish and uh, whatchamacallit uh, Jack Black said similar about his little like pot belly he was like he was so mean <laughs> it was Martin Scorsese yes that. Martin Scorsese yeah. was in I Shark think Scott Ackerman wrote uh, that <laughs> like it was one of his own uh, like few kind of film 
uh, credits and it, it would bring it up <laughs> oh i forget and also it's like, so ugly it's just it, the colors in in shark's tale is so gross and ugh. i did not like that film i liked it okay <laughs> okay okay so, sorry so we're, we're trending downwards okay here's here's the was, big one it was, the, it was like the burger king uh, promotion <laughs> where 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 like finding nemo was the mcdonald's yes one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The the big one and the movie that kind of The Incredibles kind of ate its lunch. 2004 computer generated movie coming out after November. Can anybody guess what this is? I know yeah. what it is, See. but I'm not going to lie, Darren. I I I'm kind of cheating because I googled it. Is it the Polar Express? Okay. It's the Polar Express. It's oh, my Polar parents Express. and my my parents adore that film. They watch it every year. I've never watched it because I've heard horror stories you know, about it. You know what the thing is, Darren? If Home on the Range was the end and Polar Express was the beginning, I was frightened. (laughs) (laughs) Like genuinely, I was concerned. So I shouldn't watch it then because I've never seen it. I think the the, the fact that it's a Christmas movie means that people who get like very excited about Christmas, like a few months into Christmas and during the whole Christmas holiday, it's nothing but Christmas stuff, watching Christmas movies. Like they're going to see Polar Express and probably after a few times it just becomes like a fixture. And then it, <laughs> yeah. and there's, there's stuff as well that I would never have seen or have thought to have seen. Stuff like Arthur Christmas that oh, people love. I love that film. That's James I do Hathaway, like Arthur it? Christmas. Yeah, I love yeah. that film. I think it's I, I, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying <laughs> the, 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 the fact that it's like a Christmas movie, it will get an audience. No, yes. that's, about, yeah, that's like... absolutely a Christmas movies do kind of get an automatic pass because people feel so um, sentimental about the season. And look, there, there are families that kind of have, you know, their like some for some families it's the family stone is their go-to christmas movie like and you can't really like fault that i remember giving a negative review for uh the christmas chronicle a few years ago um you know that kurt russell one and people people, santa daddy yeah people went after me guys because i negatively reviewed a christmas movie did you did you review the sequel i didn't watch it i'm not going to it's 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 a poor movie. You couldn't rustle up much enthusiasm. Because uh, my parents have that thing. They have it. They, like they're full on tradition with like they watch Polar Express and the lead up to Christmas. They watch all the Harry Potter films, which I guess because Harry Potter has Christmas in it and it's quite magical. It's literally magical when it runs over the a year. The first one is Christmassy, and that's yeah. about it. Yeah, they, 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 well, that's all you need. They've yeah. turned it into it's a franchise tradition. anchor. And every time a new Potter film comes out, and I mean every time a Fantastic Beast film comes out, they add it. But yeah, Graham, I, they, they released the Fantastic Beast films, if I remember correctly, in November. Apart from the last one, because obviously the pandemic yeah. happened. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, they come out in November, so they are positioned for I, Christmas. I know. I, I, it's just they have nothing to do with Christmas. Okay, now we're going to spend half an hour on Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, I know Die Hard with a Vengeance did well. But like, (laughs) it it started that thing of Die Hard movies not being Christmas movies. Yeah. And they just kind of like stayed with like being July 4th movies. Um, Live free or die hard. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That came out when I was in New Hampshire. State motto. I was just going to say, but to get us back to like the topic on hand, if I may, Darren, I'm totally going to steal your bit, by the way. But a couple of (laughs) direct to video releases in 2004, which we're showing, guys, it's getting rough. Uh, The Lion King one and a half and Mulan 2, which is like, guys, what is going on with animation anymore? But it was also the year we got Howl's Moving Castle. 
Yeah. That was quite good. God damn yeah. You know? With like Lasseter and I believe Pete Doctor were pushing that one as yeah. well. Like that's oh, a Pixar. That's an unofficial kind of Pixar movie, that translation. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, I'm just to run down and these Christian both. Uh, yeah, Christian, like obviously a Pixar fixture. Um, but if you, if you want, buzz me, anybody this buzz me. Disney plus universe. Yeah, yeah, that is fair. Um, if you, now, now thanks to Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah. Um, if you want to buzz me, if you guys have seen any of these, but these were theatrically released animated movies. Teacher's Pet. Nope. The Easter Egg Adventure. No. Clifford's really big movie. No. Jesus. There was another yeah, one? Though, no, this was back in 2004. So yeah, animation in 2004, not in a good place. Wow. And that's very much the sense of like why Pixar needed to kind of shake it up. And, you know, again, this is very much what The Incredibles kind of is. But let's, before we talk about the movie in a bit more depth, before we talk about the movie in a bit more depth. Sorry, this is my second podcast of the evening. Um, you hussy. <laughs> Darren, they also had Barbie as the Princess and the Pauper, which I have seen. Uh, and they had the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, which was actually quite enjoyable. Oh, I liked that. That was fun. I liked that film. They rode the Hasselhoff. Yeah. It was great. I, I went to see that in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah so did I. Was, great. Yeah, same. Great oh, I was 18 when I saw Pro- that. Uh-oh. Probably the second best, yeah, the second best animated movie of the year. Not to jump too far into the conversation <laughs> we're about to have. Well, I'm ready. Well. To talk about the podcast, to talk about the movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so, having done the dutiful uh, context setup, to get us started here, D, do you think The Incredibles is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Um, <laughs> I do. I do. I think it is. Um, I mean, I did touch on this last week, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Like, unfortunately, the animation has aged, but I also do think that the story and the characterization and really the set pieces, um, they've actually kind of like, they're so good that the fact that the quality Mm. of the animation isn't up to par with what can be accomplished today. Yeah, I didn't even do that on purpose. Um, But I think that all of those things are so good and so accomplished that it doesn't matter that the animation looks dated now. I, I would maybe even like, again... Fight, 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 fight. But I would maybe push back against the kind of datedness of the animation. I do think it is dated. I think you watch it and you know that it's an animated CGI <laughs> movie from like at this stage over 15 years ago. But I think the aesthetic of the movie works in such a way that it kind of doesn't matter. It's like its use of color, its use of graphic design, the use of the way in which the characters are designed to look like Tex Avery or Chuck Jones cartoons as opposed to real people. The way in which the deco, the art deco design kind of looks a bit like one of those old Looney Tunes commercials, like a Roadrunner kind of cartoon or whatever, where it's all like strong colors and circles and angles and all this sort of stuff. Mm. The fact that it's rough watching it back, I didn't mind it as much as I thought I would. I was kind of worried about that. But I thought it kind of reminds me a bit of when you get to those kind of Warner Brothers cartoons in the 50s where they're cutting the budget for the department mm. and they don't necessarily have the capacity to do fully detailed backgrounds or whatever. It kind of looks a little bit like that where everything has this almost abstract quality to it. I I, I think it still looks good. I do think it's dated though. I, I will accept readily that it's dated. Um, but Graham, what about yourself? Uh, do you think this is one of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I've been wrestling with that, but um, talking about it, yeah. Um, I think it does belong there because there's elements of this film that are still being talked about today uh, and they think they're being revolutionary when they talk about it 
the deconstruction of superheroes, what it means to be a superhero, how it can be kind of like this theme inside of everyday life and other genres. Um, yeah, I yeah, I think it's a it's a really timeless piece. I'll go, I'll go into the animation once we go into more uh, spoilery kind of uh, section. But yeah, I think it um, it is timeless in the sense of its story of its characters and. Um, yeah, there's some, a lot of moments in it that are just absolutely brilliant. So I, I completely agree with everyone. Uh, 250. Yeah, it serves to be there. And Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think this belongs on the 250 greatest movies ever made? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I think there's a place for animation, like a, f- a fairly large place for animation on the 250. And I think if this movie wasn't animated, it would be on the 250. <laughs> like, uh, you, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as as in, like, the D-mentioned the set pieces. They're incredible. Brad Bird is a fantastic action filmmaker. Yeah. Yes. And, um, I feel I feel like, like, listening back, like, doing the rough draft of the edit on kind of last week's episode, I do feel like, you know, we are quite mean at certain points to Brad Bird, a demanding director who drags people up in front of him to bone, to pick at their work in front of everybody Hang else. on, we, and Darren, you were the one who was going at Brad Bird. Yeah. Thank you very much. You had all the context. We didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was nice until you told us. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, okay, I was using the royal we. Oh, I knew you were. I, I, yeah. Fair, fair. I do, I do feel like, yes. It's editorial line. Yeah. <laughs> on behalf of the 250 podcast. Um, but I, I do think that is absolutely kind of worth stressing is that like Bird is a phenomenal director where yeah. like there's an element of his work and there's an element of his attitude and there's an element of his public persona where he's like, I'm so good at what I do. Stupid people shouldn't be allowed to get in my way. And when you say that yeah. out of context, it seems like he's being an asshole. Well, but then you look at his movies and you're like, yeah, maybe stupid people shouldn't get in his way. <laughs> like, Just maybe don't say it like that. There is occasionally, though, that streak in great yes. people. As in, like, like, not even in, like, great nasty people, but in great kind of, like, um, just uh, people who are very good at what they do. Mm, like, I remember true. reading the... I, I, I know this is, <laughs> this is a movie podcast, but I, 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 I read the, the Dennis Burkamp biography, like, years and years and years ago. He's a footballer. Um, but like all throughout it, it was like, so I had this coach and he told me what to do, but he was wrong because I knew what to do. So I did it and we won. The results speak for themselves. Yeah. That's fair, yeah. 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 Was, There's a lot of people like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that you find that in all kind of walks of life where they just know better. Yeah. Yeah. And and that self-confidence of a certain... do things in a committee when you're yeah. kind of, yeah. Like that. that goes back to kind of the objectivist stuff. <laughs> That, that I'm sure that you're going to bring up at some point. Maybe I will. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I brought it up on, last yeah, week. Andrew, Andrew, we were like, we were almost finished the Iron Giant last week, and you were like, you know what, we haven't talked about objectivism. Like, so you you don't get to blame me for that. <laughs> no, one. no, I don't. I don't. I'll um, throw. I'll throw one more behind the name. scenes with the two fifty. I'll throw one other name in. It's not behind uh, the scenes; it's in front of the mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's worse. That's just messy. I'm yeah. sorry. This is a BTS. Darren is very. They're tired. a great band. They're a great band. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, Andrew. You were going to say one other name? No, I, I, I don't, Well, I don't think it spoils anything. Yeah. Last week I said uh, Brad Bird, Ayn Rand, Eva Mode. I feel like <laughs> Brad Three Bird. Three sides. Edna. It's Edna Mode. Sorry, Edna Mode. I'm. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. Um, Fabulous. But the, the 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 other person I thought of this week in that kind of. Um, I uh, 
triangular kind of Venn diagram or something or like triumphant mood board, I guess, <laughs> is uh, Ar- Ariana Huffington, I think. Oh, that's what do that's you think? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about it later. Maybe <laughs> yeah, not. yeah. We'll put a, we'll put a pin <laughs> in that, and we may not ever pull the pin out. I don't think I have much out. more to say about okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like those two words were enough of themselves. Yeah. Um, and for myself, I think yes. I think like this is uh, again. It's it's amazing that this is a movie that dropped off the two fifty and had to come back. I love, by the way, that at the moment, Birds films like Ratatouille is at two twenty. This is at two thirty, and the Iron Giant is at two fifty. I like that he's mm. got like the zeros. He's honed in on the zeros. He's a dividing line. But I think that, yeah, The Incredibles is a revolutionary piece of American cinema, arguably like second only to Toy Story in terms of like computer animation, because it's the point at which studios figure out how to animate human characters in CGI. Mm. There had obviously been attempts before this. Final Fantasy The Spirit Within is probably like the big example where they tried to they tried to push um, they tried to push like CGI to replicate photorealistic humans and populate the uncanny valley. And it was frankly monstrous. And there's a really, really great quote from Bird where he's like, so when I decided that Pixar were going, when I decided Pixar were going to make their first movie with like a primarily human cast, because obviously humans had appeared in like Finding Nemo, Toy Story, all that sort of stuff. But here's the first time that the majority of the cast and the main characters are human. He's like, when we did that, we had a conversation and it was like, you could use computer-generated effects to create something close to a verisimilitudious human being, something that's designed to pass in front of a camera. But you could also probably take a piece of dog poop and reconfigure, and this is the example he uses, pull it apart at the atomic level and put it together to make an orange. Nobody's going to want to eat that orange, even if it is technically an orange. So we decided instead that what we would do is we would approach this stylistically. We'd adopt a cartoonish approach to animating human beings where none of the characters in these movies look like real people, but they're still recognizable as humans. So this is important. They don't give you nightmares. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Importantly. <laughs> they don't haunt your dreams. <laughs> from, from like Toy Story humans. <laughs> yeah. From Brad Bird is the Gordon Ramsay of directors. <laughs> the Hester Blumenthal of uh, CGI filmmaking. Hester yeah. Blumenthal did make that <laughs> he did and the orange was delicious <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what i would say um like so that that's one reason is that it pushes that it gets cgi across that hurdle that it needed to get across the second thing that it does um is that it also it introduces the idea of arguably auteurism into american animated cinema and obviously that is a gross generalization obviously you go back you have to look at people like tex avery chuck jones uh, even musker and clemens working at disney there are directors who were usually important in terms of american animated cinema but by and large animation in american cinema was seen as a medium for producers and for studios to express their interest through as opposed to a medium for directors and the incredibles is really the moment in time where the work of The Incredibles becomes impossible to talk about without talking about Brad Bird. And we will talk, Andrew's pulled the pin out of the grenade. <laughs> we will talk about it in the spoiler zone. He has mentioned the three words, Ayn Rand and the separate word objectivism. Those are the three words together. Um, and that's obviously part of the movie and its conversation. And Bird has said, quite frankly, I think that's nonsense. But Bird has also said, that was the first time I remember hearing the American press talk about an animated film as something worthy of discussion in those terms, in terms of looking at an animated film as something 
that deserved that level of interrogation, discussion, and exploration as a statement of artistic intent on my behalf. Scrutiny of its philosophy and politics. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The idea that like it's it this is a film that is worth having conversations about afterwards, which isn't always true or wasn't always true of American animated cinema. Well, it's definitely true of this. And I don't think that I I I think like um hopefully we're going to talk about it in in a, 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 like well I I guess I don't mind how we talk about it, but I I think it's possible to talk about that in a value neutral sense. Yeah. Like to say like it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, depiction and endorsement and all that. Yeah, yeah. So that is the second reason why I think it, it maybe deserves a place on the list in terms of like, again, in terms of redefining American animated cinema, uh, both in terms of, you know, craft with the, the animation, but in terms of like narrative and in terms of substance and in terms of theme, in terms of autourism. And then finally, I just think it's a really good movie. I think it's a really <laughs> yeah. well-made movie. Um, it is exceedingly well put together. It is a joy to watch. It is meticulously constructed. It does everything that a good movie should do. It has setups. It has payoffs. It has jokes that become plot points later on. It gives you everything that you needed to give you, and it gives you more, and it gives you more than you expected to, and it keeps rewarding you on rewatch. So yes, those are the three reasons why, yes, I would make an argument for it belonging on the list. D, would it be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? Of course it would be. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, I think objectively it's a really good movie and it has some... Uh, Objectivistly? Uh. And uh, it, it has... <laughs> that, was the, that, was correct, that was the correct response. That was good, the right response. Choice. That was a good choice. <laughs> and like, just for me personally, it has a lot of... Um, emotional resonance like I know you'll probably we'll get into what does you know The Incredibles mean to you but like for me it's um you know I am the eldest of five kids and we have been known to go through dysfunction um we don't exactly have superhero powers but I think that we really kind of watch these movies and really kind of respond to and relate to them um Shrek 2 if I can go back to that for a moment <laughs> Like the whole dysfunctional family that like for us, like 2004, we got two really great animated movies between Shrek 2 and um, The Incredibles. And my sister still quotes sometimes when we're sitting at dinner together. It's so nice to have the family together for dinner, which is a line from Shrek 2. <laughs> One of the less quoted ones. But um, I love The Incredibles and I kind of love that what it's saying about when one of the family is in crisis, everyone is in crisis, if that makes sense. Um, Because it so often happens that... um, Sorry, there, my cat's going in the background again. Anyway, uh, they're just... They're totally acting up. They have been asleep all day. But anyway, um, whether it's like... Because there's never one person kind of going through something like everyone is going through something at the same time or is it like when some when an individual is going through the crisis kind of the whole family gets pulled into it um you really see that in this movie and um i don't know i i i just find something very kind of um touching about that you know and seeing the journey that they go through as a unit like working through it together like is it realistic do we all have a giant robot that we can face to get through some probably not but uh you know it's it's kind of fun to imagine that maybe we could (laughs) what is the robot really is it is it is it depression we don't know you know (laughs) i always took it as a dog i i have a note on what the robot is but we'll come back to that i have a note on the robot um (laughs) it does involve the words rand unfortunately Uh, but what 
I guess this is the question then, actually, because this, this, it is a random robot. Um, but D, is this your favorite Pixar movie? You know, it's kind of, for years, my favorite was actually Finding Nemo. Um, I absolutely love the sea. And I just remember like when I saw it at the time and I remember watching it over and over again, just being so stunned by the animation. Um, Dory was my favorite character ever. I just found her so funny, like literally everything she'd say was just really great. And I mean, you know, I know Ellen DeGeneres is kind of cancelled now, but I do think that she... <laughs> I just kind of. I do think she brought a great performance to that, and I mean, oh, you could yeah. ki- you could kind of see her stand up background that she was bringing into that, and everything kind of with the dry delivery and everything. I think that it was Absolutely. great, and that kind of bouncing off Marlon, who was so like <laughs> up to his great. up to his eyes, like he could not deal. I just I just remember finding that so funny, and it it I also find that a very touching story. In fact, um, and again, we'll get into this, but it's like. Dad's going through midlife crises is Pixar, yeah. isn't it? It just is Pixar yeah. to a T. So I almost feel like I have to go back and watch all of the them. Pixar movies to really determine which one is my favorite now. But for a long time, it would have been Finding Nemo and probably very close after that, The Incredibles. And then after that, um, Toy Story even though I know Toy Story 2 is the better movie yeah. but that but that furnace scene guys I, I just it's the most manipulative oh, thing in all of cinema <laughs> fun, fun fact Toy Story 2 is the the no it, it's not the only Toy Story movie not on the 250 because Toy Story 4 dropped off but Toy Story 2 isn't on the 250 but Toy Story and Toy Story 3 are oh I'm not has Toy Story I'm... 2 ever been on the 250 yeah. yes yes it has oh, okay. uh, um, alright and Graham um, what about yourself? Would this be one of your own 250 favorite movies? And is it your favorite Pixar movie? Um, yeah, I definitely have it up there on my 250. Uh, again, like I said last time, um, I would, most of my thing would be animated. And potentially there's be a large portion of it also be superhero related. Um, so the Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, watching it again. I was kind of reminded of how great it was because you always remember, oh yeah, that was great. But then you watch it and you're reminded yeah. of the flaws or you're reminded of the heights uh, that it reaches. And I, I am silly and very fickle in the sense that the best one to me is usually the last one I watched because Pixar for, for a long time were consistently fantastic, like consistently yeah. great. The Miracle Run. They had how, the Miracle Run. Like They had an incredible run. Like they really did. You talk about... Um, just like hitting it out of the park. They hit it out of the park all the time. Isn't it? Cars I'm, is the next one. And that's the one that arguably breaks it. I, I'm curious. Yeah, but even Cars, even Cars, like the, the franchise. Cars 3 is a surprisingly touching film. Uh, I mean, especially Cars, Cars, Cars 2 and 1. Cars 3 makes Cars 2 look like Cars 1. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think... <sighs> not having seen Ratatouille for a while. Not having seen a bunch of other films... I think I think Incredibles right now is my favorite Pixar. I'm I'm curious, Graham. How mm-hmm. how do you feel about Coco now? Because we we've, we 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 watched oh, Coco. I, I, I forgot about Coco. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Coco. So it's um, not it, like it's not presumably then it's not S tier Pixar. Um, I know you Coco. were very fond of it at the time. Oh, I adore I adore Coco. That's the thing. Well, Coco is the about... one that's arguably been reclaimed. Like of the recent Pixar run, Coco's the one that has had in the past year or two the this is the secret masterpiece treatment. 
Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah, I'm not surprised at that, to be honest, but it wouldn't personally be one of my favorite. I don't know. It just didn't resonate with me as much as the others, I suppose. Um, uh, it, it brings me to tears every time. It's one of those. It's a kind of the Iron Giant type situation. I know I'm going to cry at a certain point. You mean you mean the grandma time. scene? Yeah, 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 the grandma. It's definitely the grandma scene. But see, that's all. That's the only thing I remember from it. Um, but I, but I do love the music. I think the music's gorgeous, and the design of the Dead World is amazing. And I, and I think the thing that made Coco so great was because what what's very important to that uh, country and to that culture is quite similar to what's important to Ireland and Irish culture and family, and that's why I thought it resonated quite well with me. Um, I don't know if that can be said for everyone else, but that's kind of I I I I I can I I've been known to stretch to try and find connections to literally everything to help make something more interesting to myself. Like that's why I I love The Incredibles so much, and I think yeah, I, unless I'm reminded again of another great Pixar film, uh, it is my favorite because um, I love superheroes. I love when superheroes enjoy being superheroes and have loads of fun with their powers, like. Dash. So you're very much Team Bob here, then. Yeah. <laughs> Graham's like he should ditch that annoying wife. I love kids. Bob. Like, like I know, like he was awesome. Uh, even though I thought he was the villain for like a good portion of that film, because <laughs> I don't know why. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I have to think against Bob Oden- Odenkirk. And yeah, just the da- Dash himself. Da- da- Dash Bob Odenkirk as is a... the character. He plays the character in Incredibles too. Yeah. Oh, right. right. He's he kind of back into the world. Mr. Incredible. Sorry. Yeah. It's Bob Parr. I mean, he's oh, he's sorry. basically Saul Goodman as a... Yes. As yes. A, an yes. animated character. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just Dash kind of encapsulates why I love superheroes because he has so much fun being a superhero and that kind of just just runs through the whole film and that's... Uh, runs. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of why... When, one of the major reasons why I love The Incredibles it's just... It's so much fun. He's a bit of a little stinker, though, isn't he? Like yes. a bug, like a Bugs Bunny. Yes. Oh okay. yeah. Very totally. Warner Brothers animation kind of way. Yes. Yeah. Um. And again, so Andrew, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal two hundred and fifty? And is this how does this rank in Pixar's canon for you? I'm wondering what my personal kind of power rankings would be for for Pixar because I do like Pixar movies. I think like Inside Out would probably be. Is it worth doing just again just a speed round of a dash round of like this? Because my memory thing. isn't. Great. Yeah, that's about yeah, to say. Yeah. Okay, so like I, from. I feel like I would I I would probably put Soul like higher up than than, than some like like I look back on that movie and I think like yeah that movie was really quite good and very like the music was incredible and it's really profound too, it's kind of message and everything. Okay, so very very quickly. Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Cars, Ratatouille, Wally, Up, Toy Story 3, Cars 2, Brave, Monsters University, Inside Out, The Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, Cars 3, Coco, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, Onward, Soul, Luca, Turning Red, and Lightyear. Oh, well, okay. in that rundown, of course, Coco is considered a masterpiece. I'm sorry, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's oh a few stinkers God. in there. Let's that be honest, so guys. Come on. I was surprised. Monsters University. I, I 
I forget that Brave is a Pixar film. I always consider it a yeah. Disney film. Same, same. Because also the, the actual animation style, for some reason, I don't automatically associate with no, Pixar. It I a DreamWorks film. I uh, well, I associate it with like you know Tangled or Frozen, and you know how yeah. they're Disney animated movies. Well, well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like she's been folded in the Brave character. Um, what's her Merida. name? Merida. She's That's one of Merida. the Disney she's princesses. Now, she's now one now. of the Disney princesses. Like the question is that since Disney ha. bought Fox, is Anastasia? One of the Disney princesses uh, as yeah, well. Apoc- yeah, but so is Apocalypse. <laughs> Apocalypse is also a Disney princess now. Um, but uh, <laughs> Princess Leia. But um, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Hunter. But no, no. Um, so I guess S tier would probably be uh, this Inside Out and Wally. I think they would half of it, like, half of Wally for me. I no low no come on like like the <laughs> stuff when it's like all the the guys with like big gobs in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's got minimal food waste. They do eat all yeah, that food. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, they. they um, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. So, so, it just occurs to me that that may be one of the reasons why you enjoy it. There is no food waste. <laughs> it's like, it's like they, they eat all their portions. Um, I, to- I totally forgot about Wally. I do need to give Wally a shout out, especially because it's a big movie with the in-laws and they would literally kill me if I didn't Aww. say it was one of my favourite. But uh, yeah, my, my mother-in-law, it is her favourite. It's one of her favourite movies of all time, actually. So she loves Wally. Yeah. Because it's, it's a beautiful ecological kind of parable, but also like a love story. And it's also got like some, it, it, it's funny. And it's like yeah, kind of a, su- it's kind of got the sci-fi, but it doesn't go like heavy yeah. on it either. It's just, it kind it's kind of just, it, 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 it walks a fine line and it does so, so wonderfully, you know? Feels almost grounded, which is depressing. <laughs> <laughs> a very realistic look. <laughs> but I mean, that, that again, yeah, Wally is the thing where I think we had a family trip to it and my mum left being very angry at it. But then we'll still to this day go, Wally, Aww. randomly. Like just, <laughs> we, we worry that there's something wrong with her. Um, but she will occasionally just say that out loud. Um, so obviously it did kind of strike a chord. But yeah, um, uh, so and, and it would be on your 250 as well then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, there's only so many Pixar movies that I put on the list. I might actually put more of the Miyazaki ones on. Yeah. I think. Um, and, well, you will be pleased to hear that Miyazaki apparently visited Pixar during the production of this movie. And they showed him some reels and Brad Bird was very nervous about it. And, like, when they showed him the footage, Bird asked, like, what did what did you think of this? And he said, for an American movie, what you are doing is very brave. Um, Thank God Brad Bird like, hadn't seen Howl's Moving Castle. Otherwise, he would have been like, there's no point. I'm just out of here, guys. Well, I'm Leaving out. the building. Yeah. Miyazaki thinks that kids watch too many movies. And, and, he's guy, movies. and he still makes movies. He's the guy who makes movies. So like going to meet another guy who makes movies. Like, it's kind of going to be an uphill <laughs> <laughs> pitch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, this is, I think, safely on my 250. I think this is one of the best superhero movies ever made, um, like, regardless of genre. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and look, we've already done enough context on The Incredibles. You know, we talked about the context of American animation in 2004. We talked about Brad Bird. We talked about Pixar itself. But one of the reasons why I think this movie is important and why I think it belongs on a list like this is because, like it has all these layers of context and it's all these points of intersection for all these things that are hugely important in terms of like American cinema at this moment in time. Yeah. But like, this is only, you know, 
a couple of years after like Blade, X-Men, Spider-Man, like reinvent the superhero movie and kind of launch the modern superhero boom. Mm -hmm. And like comic book movies, I think we talked about this when we talked about Batman Begins, but like comic book movies at this moment in time are like so highly fungible. They can be anything. They can be whatever they want. There's like the freedom to be, you know, like, okay, to pick examples, like the following year, 2005, comic book movies include like, a History of Violence, the David Cronenberg movie starring Viggo Mortensen. They include, like, Robert, uh, Robert Rodriguez's Sin City, that very experimental kind of visual storytelling style. They include, like, the straight-up superhero of Batman Begins, but they also include, like, you know, Constantine, which is this kind of moody throwback to a mo something like Seven. And, you know, this is... The Incredibles is part of that. It's, it's part of, like, what superhero movies could be at that moment in time they could be fluid they could be fun they could be animated they could be like grappling with big ideas you know a couple of years before iron man comes in and the mcu just kind of bulldozes all over that and says no 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 here's what a superhero movie is right. and i think what really bothers me about modern superhero movies and what really appeals to me about the incredible is that like the genre hasn't managed to hit these highs, at least not consistently. And it's no. also like kind of like a spy movie. Yes, but, yeah. it's a 60s movie. Again, we'll, we'll yeah. talk about all this in, in the, like, it, it looks it's, gorgeous. It's genre the production bending, design. but it, 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 like, it works as all of those things. Like, it's, and a it's, marriage story. Like, the, yeah, it's like, it, it's Diamonds Are Forever, or <laughs> like, um, but it's also. Well, yeah, like, it's You Only Live Twice, but it's also like Noah Baumbach's marriage story, but it's also the Fantastic Four. Um, like that, that's the thing is like when they were showing footage of this and like, this is a minor spoiler out of context for the movie, but there's a sequence where the main character it's works. Actually, actually, that's the thing. Like there've only been bad Fantastic Four movies. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's don't even say it, Graham. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but this is the 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 good sorry, Fantastic <laughs> Four sorry. Fantastic Four movie. Um, if in case you were about to say Fan Forestick is good, um, no, but I like Toby Kebbell in it. Uh, uh, sorry, okay. Sorry, okay. Sorry. But what I was what I was about to say, yeah, like the, there's without getting into spoilers. There is like a sequence of this movie where the main character is working in a gray drab office, wearing a suit, stooped over his desk, looking really depressed. And while Pixar were working on this, it was a recurring joke around the office of, hey, Brad, are you making a Ingmar Berg, uh, sorry, a Bergman film? Are you making a Bergman film? Is that what we're doing here at Pixar now? Um, so it is kind of remarkable that, yeah, this exists and is all of those things simultaneously it's just a joy from beginning to end Rewatching it is it's a pleasure uh it's a movie that i revisit with more frequency i think than i revisit any of the other pixar movies i think if i were ranking pixar i would probably i think inside out is definitely my favorite pixar movie um Same. hands down yeah. i don't think there's any competition there i think after that it gets a bit nebulous it's it's like maybe toy story 2 wally um and I guess this, so this is certainly in the, in the top five. Um, but I think this is probably one I rewatch more frequently than I rewatch the others. Cause it's, it's fun. Like it, it, it's a fantastic, it's a deep movie. It has themes and ideas, which we'll talk about, which are remarkable in a family friendly PG movie, by the mm. way, Pixar's first PG movie. Uh, interestingly enough. Um, uh, do kids like these? <laughs> that, that is a question like yeah. we talked about that well with the if Iron it was getting Giant. voted back into the 250 it was hardly the kids that were voting for it you know <laughs> yeah. exactly that's the thing well it's probably like, the kids who were kids when it was first out now they're yeah. Not yeah, yeah yeah no but but <laughs> i i always wondered that about pixar movies because i remember i was listening to andy daly talk about kind of 
He was like, those are not kids' movies. I took my kids to see them and they were devastated. Like, they, they, I had to kind of, like, take them out of the cinema. And it's been really tough because it asked me all sorts of difficult questions. <laughs> what is death? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were just so upset. What anyway. does it mean? What, what does cheating mean in a marriage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does unfaithful mean? Um, but... <laughs> but like, that was a big thing when we talked about uh, like the Iron Giant, where like the big, the review in the New York Times was like, who is this for? This is like, this is probably more for adults than it is for kids. And like, there is perhaps an argument about that with the Incredibles, but I think this is fun enough that kids get over it. I think yeah, I like think the so. kids aren't going to pick up the oh, whole I'm... midlife crisis, existential purpose. Uh, like, you know, some people are just intrinsically yeah. better than others subtext that runs like the, through the movie. Because the, the kids are in the movie are kids. They're yes. Like these irrepressible Dash. kind of like unrelatable kind of archetypes. Yes. Or sorry, Dash is irrepressible. And then Violet has that shyness. That's very like, like people can feel seen in this. If you're ironically yeah. yeah it is yeah yeah very good yeah. <laughs> but yeah okay so finally before we jump into the spoiler zone if listeners have not seen the incredibles or if they haven't watched it in a while d would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device absolutely yeah and i think that you'll really enjoy it i'd be really surprised to be honest if much like with most of these podcasts, why would you be listening if you haven't seen it but <laughs> particularly because the incredibles is just so joyful and so much fun why wouldn't you see it you know this was another one of those cases where i was like midway through it and my husband was saying will you pause it and, and watch the rest of it with me and he'd already seen it so, <laughs> um and i said no because i have to finish watching it for a podcast does not understand the life of a critic <laughs> um and graham what about yourself do you recommend listeners pause it and stream it to a local device i mean i'm just gonna echo what t said yes I mean, if you haven't already seen, I don't get why you're here. Why are you here? You just love don't our voices. Insult the I guess you love our voices. Don't, don't judge uh, the listeners, Graham. <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. It is a timeless film that I think gets better on rewatches. Yeah. I yeah. never get sick of this film, and I've and I, I've also watched it close to double digits times in my lifetime, uh, which might not be a lot for some people, but it is for me. Um, it's it's just it's perfect it's it's just almost you know it is no it is perfect and it is one of the best films that i've watched in a long time and i was so happy to get to watch it again uh for any old reason and would you say that bird really soars here <laughs> I, I would say he stuck the landing nice yes thank you good job <laughs> and andrew <laughs> I love it when people like pour out their heart and then Darren is just waiting. That's literally a, all I'm to, here for. To say a pun at the end. I, you know I don't do well with emotion, Andrew. You know I don't do well with emotion. It's a defense mechanism. It's the only way I know how to cope. Um, but uh, on that note, Andrew, would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and stream Incredibles to a local device? Yeah, yeah, I would. Like, especially if, if you've gotten Disney Plus in order to watch something else, like, and you're thinking kind of like, okay, I have so many days before I cancel my my free time, <laughs> or, uh, or or if you're if you're staying with somebody who has Disney Plus, if you don't normally have it, and and you're like, oh, what else will I watch? Because there is a lot on Disney Plus actually. These yes, days. yes. Um, it, 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 
I, there's I, something I mean, like 40 straight weeks of content when it launched so and it's only growing all it's coming out all the time yeah. sorry it feels like an ad I, I, the fact that we're talking about it as if it's a problem <laughs> makes it seem like less of an ad. Uh, but but it's just too much television to watch. Like there's so many things. But 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 if you if 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 you've access to Disney Plus, because that's going to be one of the handier ways to watch it. Yes, stealing it. <laughs> which, which I guess we've is, got a cat cam. He was on the door. He was literally on the door. I'm gonna have to bring them downstairs. Anyway, continue, guys. <laughs> no, I w- absolutely would recommend it. That was a bit of a lengthy kind of way of saying yes, you should watch this movie. Um, don't steal the movie. <laughs> it's very good. I, yeah. Why would you put that idea in the listener's head? <laughs> I'm saying don't. <laughs> Sorry, I watched the Banshees of Enishiran during the weekend. If you're it's like steal a movie. Steal that movie called Steal This Movie. Isn't very fair point. Called? It does seem instructive. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um. All right. And for myself, yes, absolutely, unequivocally, watch this movie. It is just a joy. Um. It holds up remarkably well. It's a movie that I watched as a teenager. I got something out of. I watched as an adult. I got something more out of. Mm. It's a movie that I keep coming back to. It's a movie that is fun to unpack. It's saying interesting, challenging things. Things that, again, as Andrew said, we don't necessarily agree with or disagree with. But we look at it in a value neutral way. It is saying something. It is a, an animated film that is not condescending to its audience. And that is, to this point in American cinema, quite rare. Uh, and I think that is something that is absolutely worth celebrating. And again, of course, the Pixar movies before this were also very mature. They dealt with mature themes and things like that. But at the same time, this feels like it's it's a quantum leap forward in terms of like technological mm-hmm. advance. The irony being a quantum leap is actually just a tiny leap, but it's a leap from one level to another. All right, on that note, with that piece of trivia, we're going to segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Graham. Yes. What is The Incredibles about for you? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm just here for something super heroic to happen. Uh, I love, I love that child in that film. Sorry. Uh, the, Dash? I mean, it's, it's, no, 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 no. The something kid amazing, that constantly... I guess. Oh, something amazing. Yeah, something amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me too, kid. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, it's, it's just, it's just such a fascinating dissection of what it means to be a superhero, what it means to be part of a family and everything that kind of, uh, both of those do to a person about what identity as well, both secret and like, you know, your, your literal identity. Like, what are you? What, what, what is Bob Parr? If he's not Mr. Incredible, can he be a good father? Can he be a good husband? Uh, is he strong enough to, to be all of that? Um, I, I find it just a fascinating story and I keep learning new and new things as I watch it. Uh, because I, t- I don't watch it like on, a, on the reg on the regular. I watch it, quite frequently it's a couple years in between maybe and so every time i come back with it with fresh new eyes when i came to it as a child i was just like yes this is a fascinating story about uh probably didn't use that word uh story about superheroes that i've never seen before when i came to it as a teenager i was like i understand these kids so much and now as a man in his thir- mid-30s uh with a little bit of critic uh critical thinking behind me i'm just seeing just the ideas of identity and fear and um just trying to be a good person and what it kind of means to be that, whether it be super or otherwise. 
I mean, here's the quote from Bird, like talking about it to the New York Times and saying like what what inspired him to write this back in 1993 or to pitch this back in 1993. Um, At the time, I was worried that if I wanted to make a good movie, I'd be selling my family short. Or if I wanted to be a good dad, it would prevent me from being successful kind of in the movies. So it, it is that question of like being your authentic self, like that thing, the thing that we keep going back to in bird movies. And what? I guess this is going to be a segue into the thing that Andrew really wants to talk about. No, uh, no. But I, like, I, I, I think this but it's about being your authentic self. Like it's the idea of like wanting to be all multiple facets of it. Yeah. Mm. And it's also like a 250 theme of like, um, if, if, if I, if I can't, you know, if I have to dedicate myself to this career of filmmaking, I can't be the parent that I want to be so I can make movies <laughs> about that. Yeah. I mean, yes. interstellar. Yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> my what kids if, will get it at some point. <laughs> yeah. What if, what if instead of being home with my kids, I made a movie about how I wanted to be home with my yeah, kids and how I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'll make a movie about someone going home to their kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, to, to show that I'm thinking about it while I'm not at home with my kids. Well, I mean, like, and again, like, it, it's worth noting that this Nolan. was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just in case the subtext wasn't immediately clear there. Um, but like, it, it is worth noting this was a very, very, very demanding production. We talked about like the situation that happened with the Iron Giant, where he was like, "Give me all of your scrappy, young, angry animators who have been angry at the system and just want something to focus, and just give us free reign on like a third of the budget, half the time, and we'll throw this together, but it will be ours." And there's something very similar about what he did at Pixar, where he walks in and like Lasseter, he says, look, what I want, I don't want your top tier animators. I don't want the guys who were like the the top tier superstars on like, you know, on like Finding Nemo or Toy Story. What I want are the guys, the guys who are causing trouble, the guys who are objecting, the guys who are angry, who have ideas about how this place should be run and it's not being run. And I want you to give me those guys and to get... Yeah, the, the troublemakers, basically. Sounds and- like some kind of suicide squad. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. But he was he was like, yeah, so give me those people. And what we will do is we will do something oh, that is in- insanely ambitious. Yeah, the weasel of the gang, just <laughs> licking, licking the projector. Um, but like, this is, this is the longest Pixar movie to date. It runs uh, an hour and 55 minutes, including credits. Uh, the longest Pixar movie before that was like an hour and 35 minutes, including credits. So that's a full 20 minutes longer. It also has somewhere in the region of 200 locations, which is more than twice the number of locations of the next comparable film, which is probably Toy Story 2, because that is a road movie. Uh, it also has more characters and more human characters in particular than any previous Pixar movie as well, just in terms of even background extras and crowd shots. And all of those have to be animated individually. And so they had to create new ways of animating, which is absolutely astounding. So, for example, and again, this is the thing where Bird is talking about how he feels like moving from 2D animation into 3D prepared him for like moving from 3D into real life. Because when you render in 3D, you can do things like you can digitally move the camera. You can reposition the camera and get different angles on the same shot without obviously needing to animate each individual cell by hand. But he's saying that like the the, the like the hack that we pulled to get this movie made was that we discovered that we didn't need to animate the backs of sets. We could double the number of sets that we animated 
if we didn't animate them as fully enclosed 3D objects. So if we agreed from the outset that we were only going to shoot particular angles of these sets, we would know that we only need to build a wall or we only mm -hmm. need to build this much in there, which is, again, very, very innovative. They did things like they designed software... And again, this is the stuff that maybe should give Andrew nightmares. They designed software to like randomly design faces for the crowd that would just like do mathematically like mm -hmm. come up with faces that were random enough that they seemed human or organic. So like a random character generator. Pretty much like in a yeah. 3D model, which is kind and of all again. All of those people are like, I know I was made for a purpose. <laughs> it's important. What is my purpose uh, to make what, butter? What is my purpose? Your background. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you're gonna wear a funny hat. That's 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 your job here. Um, but I guess like that that's the thing. And I mean, <laughs> sorry. And then the next thing, next time you see them, they've got a neck brace. <laughs> um, I mean, like this is a movie that opens with a yeah. thwarted suicide attempt. Yeah, like, I remember when yeah. I was watching it again on this, and I remember it striking me the first time I watched it, but. Yeah, there's there's a suicide Why? attempt. So then sue That's so him. dark. And like, you didn't um, save my life. You ruined my death. He yells at Mr. <laughs> Incredible. How dark is that? I, that? I actually said to my friends, I don't want superheroes to be here in real life because this is what would happen to them. What the people, they'd be sued. They'd be sued constantly. Graham, great people are capable of greatness. And stupid people who don't know what they're doing shouldn't get in their way and stop them. That's that's the way the world should be, Graham. It would be like, I feel a, like that was a trick. That when, you're pulling. when everybody's special, Graham, nobody is. Be a, uh, like a, the those parts of like they keep Zach, finding Zach ways Snyder to... Superman movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, they keep, they keep <laughs> finding ways to reward mediocrity, Andrew. Um, we, we to will, be fair, he was hey, not wrong about that. Stop, stop being. Graham likes those movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was sorry, not what sorry, I was sorry, referencing, sorry. Andrew. But thank you. No, no, um, no, no. But okay, a video component that sees me explode. Before, before we steer, before we steer into that minefield, just to like to bring it back to the stuff. Like this is a superhero movie where it's heavily implied that the main character is having an extramarital affair. Yeah, yeah, for a can I make a point oh, of information yeah, about okay. this before <laughs> no, we get into this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, I remember yeah, you mentioning absolutely. this last week, Darren, and this is something that bugs me, right? So it okay. reminds me of uh, Turning Red, which I think is also Pixar, or is it Disney Animation? Yes. Okay, it's Pixar. So I remember when I was reviewing Turning Red on the radio, and uh, the presenter was like, "So the movie's about periods, right?" And I was like, "No, well." <laughs> That's like an element of it and it's a metaphor, but it's not about that. Just like The Incredibles is not yeah. about an extramarital affair. So I just wanted to make that point because even though it's a very strong metaphor as part of the movie, I hate when these films are, oh, yeah, and they're oversimplified and they're reduced to, oh, it's actually this metaphor. And it's like, no, that's a metaphor that is cleverly woven into it, but there's so much more going on in it. You know what I mean? We we are eighty minutes in. I think I think like I'm not I'm not making this the grand. Yes, fair, statement. fair. Yeah, I guess like it's an interesting thing as an adult coming to yes. like yeah. an animated movie to say kind of like it to 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 kind of like put it in a nutshell and say oh yeah that's the 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 uh, affair uh, subplot the affair one or that's the period movie where 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 not every animated movie I guess. You can say that about. <laughs> uh, um, 
Like, or you might have to stretch. Yeah, um, <laughs> like Elastigirl, you have yeah, to kind of reach but, for it. But you're completely right, D. It, 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 it is kind of, it, um, it, you, you can start kind of reducing it to okay. that, which, which is... Which is fair, and I accept that. My point was more that it's like, this is an animated family film released in cinemas in November that is, like, with an audience aimed at children. And obviously this goes right over their heads, but it does, it opens yeah. with a suicide. It treat or an attempted suicide. It treats its central like metaphor of like midlife crises around the idea that Bob is going off and having an affair with this woman Mirage, where like his wife is finding hair on clothes and he suddenly got this new joy de vivre. And there's like women ringing him up out of nowhere to kind of summon him away. He's working out for some reason. Yeah, yeah. that sort of like they, get, they have dinner and then it cuts to like, flying home as if it's a 60s movie <laughs> <laughs> you know? the, the moment where they stop just like sort of having to ride the monorail through the tunnel yeah. um but that like, was destroyed that's why there's no monorail <laughs> but <laughs> there'll be no monorail this christmas i'll tell the children um but i i like i find that use of imagery or that use of subtext kind of fascinating in a movie that is ostensibly a family-friendly movie for kids yeah. i just I, I find it fascinating that the movie goes there and that it doesn't really pull back. Because, no. like, when, like, it's not even, it's arguably not even subtext because when Helen finds him, when Mirage is letting him go and he's wrapped his arms around her because he's just found out the kids are still alive, she's like, you monstrous, unfaithful creep. Um, and he's like, yes, yeah. Why would I ever cheat on the most wonderful woman in the world? Why would I yeah. be interested in anybody other than the most wonderful woman in the world? It becomes text. It becomes text. Like that's. It's not just. Sub- I don't know. I just. I find putting that in an American family movie to be fascinating. It's all. Yeah. That's. That's my only kind of angle on it. That's the only thing that I would kind of say about that. But I do think, yeah, it is a movie about a midlife crisis, though. Like, if it's not about an affair, is it safe to say it is in some ways about a midlife crisis more generally? Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, like, you know, it is Mr. Incredible who we're primarily, like, following through all of this. Mm. Um, And I think it's really interesting that for the second movie, they do decide to turn to Elastigirl because it was something that um, Yvonne, my husband, actually commented on when we were watching... Uh, the first one even in that her character design lends itself best to action set pieces and they utilise that really well mm. in that yeah. scene where the different body parts get caught as all the yeah, doors are the doors. It's so, oh, it's so well done. Ah. It's so brilliant. I mean, super, super strength is quite plain. Super strength is quite plain, Jane. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But el- 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 Elastation, if you're a good animator, if you're a good director, um, but director, uh, yeah, if you're a good animator or director, you can do some really interesting things with uh, a character that can elasticize themselves, stretch, and all that. I think the powers in this are so well utilized. Uh, yeah, and and the thing about elasticity, as opposed to say just generic stretching, is that elasticity is like based on physics. It's action reaction. You pull and it snaps back. So you have this element of physics to it, which is. Like, lends itself to to animation. So much of animation is just physics, or particularly so much of, like, action animation or animating an action scene is is physics. Like, Mm -hmm. that was one of the big things about, like, the move to CGI away from stuntmen and practical effects is that, like, it was the physics that Hollywood could never get right, the kind of the reaction, the 
bounce, the consequence, the unintended consequences of it. And I think that like, yeah, elasticity is a special effect that is designed. It works really well kinetically. It's something you can use in ways that are very inventive and very playful where like she forms a ball or she forms a parachute or she she pulls and she stretches and she bounces back. It's and just a really cinematic superpower, particularly for what is, you know, an action and, movie. As much as yeah. we talked about the themes, it's just a really good action movie. I think I... Think I... I think I really like in that scene as well is how it sets up and pays off like how um kind of well like uh, uh how her 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 ass and her thighs are like <laughs> bigger than she remembers them being yeah. so that when 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 she snaps back or that she's looking at herself yeah. as if yeah, yeah. Like, kind of like yeah. um oh I I uh, like like she's kind of self-conscious but then her, her her ass and thighs, like, just, like, end up, like, um, uh, taking out two guards. Andrew. And also, that's, like, that's, like, hashtag goals now. It just shows how, like, yes. body yeah. image has changed. Like, that's, yeah. like, Kim K would be jealous of that, guys, you know? But it, it, yeah. yeah, but it, it it's, like, before, kind of, like, thick with, like, two seasons. Yeah. It <laughs> became, like, the, 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 you know, the, the, the Instagram thing. This is this is uh, celebrating. Uh, well, now, well, I found really now, okay. Funny. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like I, I, I have done the work on this. I feel like it's necessary <laughs> to have this okay. discussion. Um, okay. no, just just because I was, I was, I kind of, I had like on my bingo card, I had Andrew discusses uh, Elastic Girl's backside. Andrew as... objectifies women. That's the card where I just, I just in, marked in, the X. Sorry that you have that in, as a bingo card. In, okay. in your, in your bingo, that's how little you think of me. But I mean, in fairness, but it's a, <laughs> but it's a whole like big internet meme now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, well, that, Jesus! That, that, People that, adore Miss Mrs. Incredible. Well, okay, they well, adore her. This is the thing, right? So what happened is when Incredibles two came out, yep. there was this whole big thing around reclaiming the derriere of Miss yeah. of Elastigirl, oh, okay. and how she is kind of now now she's an icon. Now she thick, I believe, is the term that they use <laughs> the kids on the internet. She um, is thick. She, uh, no, the, not not she is thick. She, she thick. She thick. She thick. Oh, is that okay? You take out the she, yeah, okay. All right. She Never thick. Uh, I believe is how the kids say it. Because uh, I am hip it's and cleaner. with her. It, it is cleaner. <laughs> Drop the hello, is. fellow kids. Um, how now? How do you do? Um, but the the thing is though, like that was an interesting discussion. Well, first of all, it was an interesting discussion because obviously the famous Anthony Lane review in the New Yorker. Um, which is it really we, lascivious. It is incredibly creepy. Where he talks about like the popcorn rising and. Grabbing the cool soda. Oh, yeah, it's really creepy. Ew. Um, oh, yeah. Um, she should be banned from cinema. I mean, listen, <laughs> she's, she, listen she is attractive. I, will, I won't say that, but that's going too far. And, and he, yeah. also, he also goes, like, I mean, like, I read his review for The Incredibles, the first one, and he's like the most flexible woman you'll meet outside the Karma Sutra. And I'm like, oh, come on. But anyway, the there was this big debate about body positivity and this idea of like how Miss Fantastic, sorry, Miss Miss Incredible is. Hey, how, 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 how do we feel about that? And, yeah. and yeah, and that sort of stuff. And what's interesting is because I actually do think this is worth discussing in terms of animation, right? Because the reason, obviously, she she thick in Incredibles two and the Internet noticed, and she's also thick in the Incredibles before the Internet noticed. And I was kind of curious why that was the case. Why? In 2004, an animated character was designed this way. And I noticed that a lot of characters in animation from around that time had a similar body type, where they were narrow at the top Mm. and wide at the hips. Rotel Dorado, Atlantis. Yeah. Yeah. But even if you look at television, like Jendi Tarkovsky's stuff, like uh, Dexter's mom, 
for example. Oh, Think of that's the design true. Of yeah, well. yeah. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. To pick an example, yeah. where you have that absurd uh, hip to waist to what upper was it, the body. The Powerpuff Girls, the 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 secretary. Yeah. Yeah. But like the the like Dexter's mom, like it's practically heart shaped the way that her yeah. hips go out and then come right back into her little legs and feet. It's like a heart. Yeah. It's she crazy walks like looking. That. She walks like that. You remember, she's got like little stubs for the toes, little, for yeah, feet. the little heels. Yeah, yeah. she like, shimmies along. So there's a, there there was an art. There was like a video put together by uh, Bonabones, who is a teacher at CalArts in California who was looking into this phenomenon and like wanted to explain why it was. And the reason is very, very simple. It's when this was happening in the like late... We like big butts and we kind of like... Yeah, you other brothers can't deny. Um, And, you know, it just, it gets you going like a turbo vet. But the... Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't think we'd go this far. But the idea was that like, the reason why this wasn't controversial at the time was because if you wanted to convey that a woman was maternal... I was going to say it's moms. Yeah, yeah. It's moms, big hips, big childbearing hips. And at the time, in the late 90s, early 2000s, apparently, the idea was that breasts were sexual. So if you were animating a female character and you wanted to accentuate their femininity, you could not do it by referencing their bust because that was too creepy and sexual. On the other hand, in the late 90s and early 2000s... Their butt is free game. Butts weren't seen as anything sexual. They were seen as just like butts will make them stop thinking about sex. <laughs> but yeah, so that that is that is that's it's, that's so weird. Yeah, they're called the Hartman hips, is what they're known as in terms uh. of animation. They have there's an actual technical term, but just fascinating how culture kind of catches up to that. Where like in two thousand and four, did a Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, um, but anyway, sorry, sorry, I cut you, Graham. You were going to change the topic there. Did you? If you I can, you. can. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean. Where do I go from... What kind of segue do I go from with that? Um, yes, it's... Yeah, I mean, like... No, I don't know where to go from there. It's interesting as well. No, there is a fascination in this movie. I'll help you out here, Graham. So there is a fascination in this movie. Because I don't... Because listen, I don't know where to segue with that... Like... I'd like to like uh, say yeah she's a very attractive woman something like that but yeah I can't say that without sounding creepy. I mean there is um I I I do remember that like just and it's just moms it's so interesting I do remember seeing that trend but this movie is kind of quite um interested in like body shapes and I suppose that's kind of related yeah. to its animation overall because like you see Dash and he is like a little kid and then Violet's kind of you know that skinny awkward slightly hunched over. Uh, her head her. is like the size of her body. She dresses yeah. in a slight emo look, you know. Um, but then you've yeah. got the whole idea of um, Bob Parr and the fact that he has like gained weight and then like he puts himself like back into shape. Mm. And I th- and I thought that that uh, whole narrative was quite um, interesting because he 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 was continuing superhero work on the sly and he could have started working out, but no, it was kind of part of the whole like secretiveness of it I suppose um, and feeling like that he was really on like a proper mission that he was doing something you know important and good because yeah. someone else was like kind of asking him to and hiring him to do it Um, so I thought that that was kind of an interesting uh, part it's- of the narrative as well and that's that's I suppose an element of it that's also kind of um, you know aged quite well this whole idea of you know 
you know, the purpose. contemporary obsession with, well, I was going to say the contemporary obsession with like the gym and working out and stuff. Okay. Um, because it never, it never, what's nice about it as well is that it never kind of gets into the idea of body shaming. Like nobody is making Mr. Incredible, you know, feel in any way insecure about his body. It's something that he takes on himself. So I thought that that was kind of interesting as well. Now Edna does call him fat. Yeah, but that's, Edna's not a nice <laughs> person, Edna. to be fair. Oh my, God, my God, and she And she says it as well when he's gotten back in shape which is like extra sauce yeah which is weird <laughs> extra sauce um, I love Edna I'm also glad that we're touching on Edna guys I have to show you my Edna mode handbag yes woo I got the oh, Edna Mode handbag I like the inverted it's so like clever with the Edna Mode toes I absolutely it's totes awesome love I feel like Edna she- yeah I mean it feels like Brad Bird wanted to play and it wasn't like he was doing it for a nice little cheeky cameo yeah i think he was doing it so he could say these things that he's probably feeling yeah i i think it was originally lily tomlin which is odd because you kind of look at it and you think that's uh, that's definitely I, linda hunt but i think it was originally tomlin oh was it yeah that's the thing was, oh yeah she she had to drop out or something no no she he was telling her how to do it and she was uh, like and in a non-offensive way in like a really happy i'm glad to be taking part in this kind of way it's like mm. you feel like you have a very good read on what this character is going to be brad so uh, I feel like I'm not adding anything to this process. <laughs> you should maybe go and be uh, be Edna Mode. Because like the thing is, like how these movies are made, which is fascinating, is... That often happens, actually, in animation. I remember yeah. the, the, the BBC4 show Mongrels, they had like a Persian cast. And um, they were, they were going to get, um, I think it was Ahmed Jalili to do it, because he's Iranian. And he, 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 he would do the voice of this Persian cat and it felt like that would be the only thing that would really be okay. Um, <laughs> but instead, the creator of the show for like the readings did this kind of like um, um, ambiguously kind of foreign <laughs> voice. But it was so ridiculous and so over the top that they, they, they just had to kind of stay with it because it, it was just like um, like bigger than life, I guess. What? It, it, it's it, considering this isn't a voice actor or an actor at all like it, it's a it's a terrific performance well, i mean like well a couple of things to note here first of all i believe she's named for emode which is the software that pixar used to animate yeah. so it's a bit of an inside joke uh, 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 uh. but yeah it was originally i think lily tomlinson but the idea is that how these movies are made is obviously some animated films will get the cast together and they'll do like table reads and they'll do cast reads together where they're bouncing off each other. In many cases, they'll read in isolation. And like much of the voice cast of this movie, particularly like Holly Hunter um, as well. And I think is it uh, Sarah Vowell who plays Violet? Mm. They talked about how they never met any of their fellow cast members until they were like at the premiere of the movie. Mm. Because what they were doing is they would read opposite Brad Bird. And Brad Bird would do all of the character voices. And apparently, according to, I believe, Vowell, he does a really good Holly Hunter. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, his his Holly Holly Hunter is unbelievable. Um, But yeah, so that's apparently how how that comes about. So that's how Brad Bird ends up voicing Edna Mode. But Mode is, yeah, Mode is a fascinating character. I mean, part of me watching it now is a little bit... Why is it that fashion people get a pass? That's what I was about... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I was about it's to. It's true. They're so mean. Well, I was going to ask actually, like, is she meant to be maybe of a of an ethnicity that is not white? I always assumed she was Caucasian. Okay, is she meant like? There's a bit in her voice where it sounds a little bit like she's kind of doing a an East Asian thing. Am I? Well, is that I always, just me? I just kind of felt that that's a persona Edna puts on. 
Okay. Like, it's the fact that she she actually. I am not canceling Edna to be clear. I am no, not no, no. hashtag. I always, I always saw that she. You always, you always hear like <laughs> back then when you hear fashion people talk, they would have strange accents uh, that didn't really put them in a particular kind of region, and you it kind of just put it down to oh, it's their persona. So I always, when I was a kid, and it's kind of just stuck with me always. This way is, it's just a particular kind of like. Um, it's it's uh, what's the word performance that Edna's putting on that she's had for so long. That's all she is. That's all she kind of has now. Okay, so well, that's, I, kind of, I, that's that was my own little weird little head cannon with I, that. I my what I put forward earlier is that it's it's a mood board with Ayn Rand. Who's, <laughs> who's, who, who, like, have you heard interviews? Good God, with you want to get to this? And uh, but also uh, uh, like more innocuously, I think Ariana Huffington. Yeah. It's kind of the you 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 can kind of um, take inspiration from um, in terms of like your your voice performance. She is half Japanese. The character of Edna Mode oh. is half oh, Japanese. Oh, she is. Okay. Oh, never mind. And I like yeah. I, I I have no further comment to say on that. I just found it interesting on rewatch. That is all that yeah. I will say. Sorry. Anyway, sorry. Uh, do you want to talk about Edna Mode? Uh, I, I do think she's a brilliant character. Like I think she's yeah, an incredible. Yeah, pardon the pun. Uh, but like a really, she steals the scenes that she's in and she's fascinating when animated. Again, that, that caricature quality where like yeah. she, the way she moves, where her legs seem to move so fast and her hair bobs <laughs> as she's walking. Like she just moves with such purpose, which is kind of incredible. I, I don't know whether it's because of the animation and how hairs come along, but does anyone else think that's a wig? Oh, it would be. You know, Wouldn't like it? if she went out, probably she would, would take be. it off and just put on like oh, a no. white one. Well, she'd never take it off. I don't oh, think no, she'd ever take sorry, it off. Sorry, not to... Not, uh, but uh, uh, the if if she's half Japanese, the 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 like sorry sorry not 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 to get it, it, it into too much of a discussion of kind of race and hair, but it, it's le- less less likely to to be a wig that that, that in the sense that's kind of um, it's much more difficult for a Caucasian to have like that that uh, that kind of um, hair. If okay. That makes sense. I mean, I, I think... I'm I'm not on on like terra firma here. <laughs> I, 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 I I I I believe, yeah, that maybe it wasn't fair to say straight away. It's a week. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, um, it is is like the the animation here in terms of obviously they're animating like human beings for the first time in this level of detail and focus. And as as kind of like the mentioned, they go for a character caricature form where people are like not real people at all, but like things like it's stuff like doing hair and fabric and clothes because you know they discovered that when they had people they had to animate the clothes on them because obviously they couldn't just animate like full body with a texture Mm. on them the clothes had to have like wrinkles in them depending on how the characters were sitting or positioned ripples and stuff like if you watch bob's shirt over the course of the movie which is something i have done apparently uh, you'll notice that it like folds and kind of like bends in interesting ways like that was all the kind of background stuff that they had to do which is incredible like just to realize yeah, it. I'd say Dash must have been. I, I, I'd say Dash must have been a bit of a nightmare because you know super speed is always tricky. Because what do you do with the legs? What do you do with limbs? Because obviously he's moving so fast. How do you gener- How do you properly like you, you uh, have to, you demonstrate have to, that without doing stupid stupid slow mo? You have to. You you have to draw like he, he, even faster. <laughs> yeah. Like the the strain on the animators. Wrist is tremendous, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but you don't draw in live. Uh, but like I, it, but it, like again, this is full of all the things that you shouldn't do. Water is very difficult to animate. Hair yes. is very difficult to animate. So I what are we going to do? We're going to animate wet hair. 
like, gonna flex. We're gonna flex and have someone running on water. That is yeah. one of my favorite scenes. That, Such a good scene. Starts, when he when he's running and he doesn't realize, oh, I'm running on water, and then he starts, and he giggles and then just zooms even faster. That's what that's my favorite scene in the film. So and again, so we I think it was either D or Andrew. I think Andrew maybe mentioned like he's a phenomenal director of action and kinetic movement. Mm. So like those set pieces are all spectacular. The moment where he he defeats the two ships chasing him by just stopping. He just stops and he sinks and they crash into each other. But he did other. it by accident almost, yes. you know, yeah. which yeah. is kind of crazy, you know. Yeah. He killed a bunch of guys. What's the use of well, the physics? Again, it's this- quite violent. <laughs> it's very violent. He kills a lot of the people. A lot of people die. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He went back and finished them off. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. It was like it was on fire. They're like, help me. Uh, and Dash <laughs> picks up the machine gun. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. And then just throws it to the ground and says, let him burn. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, they, they storyboarded that, but couldn't animate it. They didn't have no. time, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like that that's the thing. Again, this is a movie where like Syndrome no, tries to kill that. kids. Like the villain talked about syndrome at all yet though. Yeah, yeah we, we will to. we will get we will get to syndrome, but like he, he kills he tries to kill kids. Like the moment where she's mm-hmm. like, There are children on board and he's like, I don't really care. And then he turns around and he gives the line, Oh, you like working alone, don't you? Um like it's again a very dark, very serious movie. Like there's a moment where Elastigirl tells her kids, like, these are not Saturday afternoon villains. They will shoot you on sight. And even, yeah. like, even the bit where the guy is chasing Violet. She gives him license to kill. <laughs> yeah, she does. She pretty much does. It's like, I'm not going to tell you you can snap their necks, but you you can snap their necks. Um, Holly Hunter doesn't mess around. I feel like we haven't showered enough praise on Hunter. I think Hunter's amazing here. Yeah. But, like, the sequence... That's why the next film is all about her. Yes, I, I do think, like, Incredibles 2 being about Elastigirl is them realizing that Holly Hunter is the star of the show. And that's why the third film should be about the kids. Maybe, maybe the third film should also be about Elastigirl. I feel like um, not enough shorts have been made about Jack-Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Frozone has Jack. to babysit Jack-Jack. Oh, that's Jack the next Jack. logical. Actually, one of my favorite, just while we're on the, the topic of um, Elastigirl, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, actually... Um, because we were talking about some of our favourites, like going back and watching that plane scene when they're under attack. And I know this is more down to the animators than her voice performance. I think it's a bit of both. But like just, I think that the way that she evokes the absolute desperation in her face of a mother whose children are in danger, like her chicks, you know. Um, I just think that it's it's incredible. Like, and the way it zooms in on the face as the um as the uh rockets are are coming towards the plane is is incredible. And she kinda she kinda knows Violet won't be able to do it. And then how she's able to like she literally uses her body to shield her children and then to like bring them down safely. I just think that that's that's such that's such an incredible uh moment and really like she is the best mom and just i i find i find incredibly moving now watching it like after all these years and kind of i'm i'm obviously not a mom myself but i can more kind of readily understand that emotion if that makes sense being a bit more mature now um so i think that it's brilliant actually and it's it's really good at like visually communicating things Mm -hmm. like like the fact that like the bit that scene as well as well it as really being, is yeah yeah thrilling and exciting it is terrifying it's but a combination I mean, of score and cinematography and just great acting but but even like even like later on where they the family come together on the island they start using their powers together again it's a hackneyed trope but it, it works very well in terms of visual storytelling where mm-hmm. they're working together as a family because they're working as a family unit again so much of that is done 
just very effectively through visual storytelling rather than having a big monologue where they're like, and that is how we work through all of our issues. You caught me monologuing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great thing about uh, that, that this film can utilize is one of the best things about the superhero genre um, as a con- uh, and I mean like the whole medium is when superheroes team up and utilize their powers together in really inventive uh, and creative ways. Like the fact that uh, Dash spins around them to create a tornado to protect them so no one can see them. And then when people are shooting them, Violet sticks up um, shields to take in the bullets. And then just like, again, I, like I love, I love uh, Mr. Incredible, but like, you know, super strength again is quite plain Jane. And then you have the Elastigirl who's just like stretching and everything, just beating them up is, it's such, a, it's such a fun thing that I know a lot of fans of the genre love seeing superheroes use superpowers in tandem because it enhances all of the characters by combining them into one kind of, you know, unstoppable force, which is also a great kind of message for families that you kind of you kind of want to be. It's interesting as well, Graham, that you touch on the whole idea that Mr. Incredible has these kind of plain Jane powers. No, because I think that that's kind of what he ends up realising is that super strength can't resolve every issue that he has. Um, And he that's something that really scares him, you know, that his Mm. super strength he thinks at a point anyway, it did not save his family. And that's a horrifying idea, you know. Yeah, he says it. Yeah, where he says it like, I'm not strong enough. I can't, if I can't lose you again. I can't lose you again. I'm not strong enough, which is again, literalizing the metaphor. But even even the bit where after he thinks they're dead and he almost like strangles Mirage, he almost like (laughs) breaks her neck. Um, which is again a really intense scene to put yeah. in a family friendly. The darker but, scene is when she frees him and she says, "There's not, there's no time," and he just grabs but that's her. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that was scary. And that darkness in it, that darkness in his thing. eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like you're right. There is no time, and it's just like he lifts. It's just, it's a surprising moment again in a PG film. Yeah. It's, it's again reminding us of the days of the late ninety, sorry, late eighties, early nineties when PG meant something when it came to films and it came to animation. It was like, yeah, this is for kids, but there's going to be moments in here that, I mean, you know, maybe they'll need maybe they'll need a, fa- a family. I mean, hold whatever. on. To be fair, the Batman was a PG-13 movie earlier this year that included eye cocaine and prostitution. And rats and, and a man's belly. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like... I feel like the, the Joker. And, and the Joker. Like, yeah, that, that old stick. Um, Again, but, I, think, I think when it... Okay, I will say, yeah, fine. That's like... And I also, I thought that was 15s. Over here it was. The Irish censor yeah. was no fun. We're, we're an American-centric podcast. <laughs> yeah. when, when it comes to PG during most Disney films, and I know I hark on about how Disney have kind of really fallen off uh, in the last couple of years, PG means nothing anymore uh, with most Disney films. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing really in it or anything. They, they say PG as if it's like, oh yeah, something might happen, but nothing really does. Well, with Incredibles and a lot of the early Pixar films, if P, it, you know, ratings do mean something. Well, all the earlier P- uh, Pixar films were G's. Um, but it is. I it think is, that when you see G on a movie now, it's really a sign that there's nothing's nothing. going to happen in yeah, it. Like, like two different animals will have a handshake is about <laughs> like, like G just means nothing happens. Easy now, easy now. You're saying something quite, easy now. You're saying something quite, uh, quite cutting edge there. Kids, kids don't, kids don't want to watch G movies. That's it. That's it. No, 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 no. It's true. no it is they're, true. That's why, that's why all the movies, that's why not, the PG. I don't want to see a baby movie. I'm not a baby. Yeah. That, that's Do you want a... to see a you film? Oh okay. no. What is that? A you, a you film is RG. <laughs> but the thing is that like, 
The thing is, like, yeah, new film is an, is a hard G. No R G. No R G. R G. It means the same thing. Yeah, it means the same thing. Uh, the thing is that, like, with the with the American stuff, yeah, with the, with the Disney stuff, it's because kids don't want to see G films. That's why those Disney films are PG. They will often put stuff in specifically to get the PG rating, the softest PG they can, because it makes the film ironically more marketable than a G film, uh, which is interesting. You go. Which is again very very cynical. But yes, we mentioned it. Let's talk about Syndrome then. Because Syndrome, the villain of the piece, Incrediboy, voiced by Jason (laughs) Lee. (laughs) If Robin turned bad. Like the thing about that whole body Incrediboy syndrome (laughs) thing is that at its heart, it's actually such a simple villain origin story and yet it's so effective and nowadays I find that the villain origin story is almost always where they get it wrong. They over convolute it, they overthink it, um, they try to like tie in some like political or contemporary message and you don't need that you just need like you know uh, uh, an an overgrown man child (laughs) exactly that wants to get get his own back and to feel like he could be a superhero that's all you need I mean you you say that as if that isn't a political commentary D I mean I'm I'm probably going to set Andrew off but it's also about the the, uh, oh I almost it's almost about the two classes that are in this film uh, that goes through into the next film of there are superheroes and then there's everybody else. And how um, and how kind of elitist Mr. Incredible starts out at the beginning of the film and how he looks down upon someone who's normal, like um, Incredible Boy. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I call him Incredible Buddy, Boy. Buddy, by as the as way. that legitimizes him. Buddy. Buddy who invents, like he invents flying boots invents at the age of... He invents rocket boots at like the age of twelve, and like Mr. Incredible is like, "You are still not gifted enough to be here." But yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm at least he's at least super intelligent. It's interesting because, like, in a world without um, kind of, I guess Tony Stark, um, they, they, it's it's uh, Incredible becomes the kind of like. Was it Guy Pierce in Iron Man Iron Three? Man oh, 3? Kilma- yeah, or, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Jake Gyllenhaal in in Spider Man. Oh, Quentin Beck. Um, yeah, in Far From Home. Uh, Far From Home. So did, and are they also Michael Keaton in Homecoming? Then yeah. Well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and Tony Stark. Yeah, but the, where? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. When 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 Tony Stark is the villain, is it? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's interesting, kind of like how how much is being kind of recycled, I guess. But I, I don't think recycled with the same level of purpose where it feels like in in those movies, there's no real interrogation of the idea that Tony no. Stark is the bad guy, if that makes sense. Like, well, I think in Iron Man 3 there is, but I think in the two Spider-Man movies, there's not because Tony Stark isn't really a major character in those movies. So it's not really about him. Whereas here, again, this, okay, this is the bit where we get to the... there's a sense in which kind of like... Uh... Tony Stark was so up his own ass that like he didn't appreciate my brilliance and I actually had a lot to contribute and he like made it a punchline. Yeah. Um yeah, but but the, there's nowhere for that to go or be no, developed because yeah. yeah. Like I like I think I think it's a good idea. I think it's interesting that like the Spider-Man villains in the MCU are Iron Man villains. Yeah. I think there's an interesting point there mm-hmm. thematically 
Uh, but we don't. This is not a Spider-Man podcast. Actually, while we're on the topic of syndrome, just want to give a shout out really quick to uh, Jason Lee. I think that he gives yeah. a brilliant yeah. vocal performance. And actually, I remember seeing behind the scenes, and he actually got more into it. Like, if anything, they use the takes where he's not as <laughs> animated. Like, he got so into it, and I I really appreciate him for that. He went all out, you know. Yeah, kind of like I'd say John Mulaney and Spider-Man. There you go. <laughs> but like, well, he he he's very. Fun, yeah. Which, 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 which is, it's what it's wild how dark the character is because he he's but but like the way he's animated and his vocal performance with the big and, hair and, and his the big look, grin and yeah, the big eyes yeah. and and, and he, the fact he's round he's kind of circular again. But he he's he's terrible. <laughs> yeah, oh no, he is the worst. Like, like he, is, he is terrible. No, he he is. He is he's awful in every way it's possible for a person to be awful. Um, in that like this is obviously like it's a personal thing between him and Mr. Incredible. He takes sadistic pleasure in like murdering Mr. Incredible's family because and one friends. time because one time Mr. Incredible was mean to him, but also he's willing to endanger thousands and thousands of people so he can be a hero and then sell off the very idea of being a hero so as to devalue the entire concept. Is, is, it, is um, it fair to say that like this film, I, I don't know, I could be reaching and that's, uh, wow, that's a, that's a line from Darren. Uh, um, bit of a stretch? It's a bit of a stretch, you know, um... <laughs> Does it feel like they created incels in this film? Like they, they they foresaw incels before incels were a thing? I don't know if I go to incels, incels. I'd say more fanboys. That okay. I Incels were probably a thing before this movie. Yes. <laughs> yes, but they weren't a named but they weren't a named group. Yeah, but also, no, also nor, nor were they named in this movie. Yeah, no, no, um, no of course not. No, but, but this, just the fact that like, I, I agree with you that that it that it, that it's it an, is an example of that. Kind yeah, of thing. it's just it, it's very much like the scorned person who believes they're special. It feels almost prescient. Yeah, it, it's just like because I because I, I understand like this worrying thing about the a worrying thing about syndrome is he is for all the fantastical things that happen in this film he is all too real. You can imagine someone who who idolizes. An everyday hero who idolizes a sports uh, personality, who idolizes yeah. uh, a TikTok celebrity, who fashions their lives after them, and if they have one bad day of being spurned by the person, say you know the the line "Never meet your hero," they could be they could go absolutely nuts. Yeah, um, I mean well, that that's the fan. That's yeah, Tony Scott's Wesley the fan Snow, starring yeah. Wesley Snipes um, and Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, and I mean, arguably, like it goes back to things like, say, even The Bodyguard, for example, is built around the same thing. Yes, Darren's going to randomly we, name movies. We were both thinking the same movie while, while Graham was talking about that. <laughs> I was like, The Fan, yeah, The <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I haven't seen The Fan. Um, but my, 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 point, my point is, though, actually, I think, I think you are onto something there. I think, though, I would argue the thing about Syndrome, like setting aside the Randy stuff that we're going to have to get into in a moment. <laughs> Randy. Um, Sorry. Yeah, I know. We're, we're going to have to get Randy sorry, in a second. Sorry, um, But setting that aside for the moment, like, the thing that really aged well with him is the sense of, like, fanboy entitlement. It's the mm, sense of, true. I am an original OG fan of this property. And the way in which he talks, where he's like, I'm a big fan. Uh, oh, you married Elastigirl and got busy. The fact that he holds them in stasis like he's wrapping them in plastic bags. The fact that he describes how I outgrew you. 
Um, it's very much like, again, I got mature and you didn't. The fact that he's kind of darker and edgier, the fact that he's trying to be a better version of the I'm thing. the future the, old man. Than the, yeah, than the thing that he loved. The fact that, like, again, you can read so much of this feels like it kind of, again, not intentionally, not at the time, wasn't really a thing in pop culture, but the idea of somebody who, like, loves a thing, like, for- say, Star Wars, for example, Coming in That's a very random thought there. It is a random example, but like coming in and wanting to take it over and wanting it to be exclusively for them and wanting to control it and wanting it to like strip out any sense of humanity from it and mass produce it and be antagonistic to the concept that there's any humanity to this thing that should just exist for their constant amusement and entertainment as they dictate it. My thought on that is that maybe people who go to Comic-Con say... And there's lots of, like, fantastic people at Comic-Con. But maybe those kind of people were exposed for a long, for a lot longer than, oh, than, to, than to, the to, general to. public to that sort of fan. Well, I mean, it is worth noting that, like, Mr. Incredible talks about, like, Incrediboy Buddy. And he's like, I signed everything you every asked. Piece I asked. Exactly. Every piece of paper you pushed at me answered every question. It is very much. It does feel a little feel bit like, like these Pixar people have met these people yeah. and, like, like, kind of, like, know what's coming. Yeah, yeah, I've kind of like had a had a a taste of what is awaiting mainstream popular culture. Yeah, but it's just it's, nerd, nerd culture is pop culture now. Now, yeah, that's yeah. it exactly. Like again, like like Bird talks about how when he when he pitched the Incredibles, they're like a, a superhero movie and it's animated. What are you thinking? What is the point of this? Nobody's gonna want to go see this. And he's like, you know, it's like there had never been since the Fleischer Superman cartoons in the forties. There had never been big money put behind an animated superhero film. And Graham, I know you're going to point out Mask of the Phantasm, which was technically the first release under Warner Brothers Animation in 1993. But that did that flopped and did not receive a big financial push from Warner Brothers. But yeah, it is a great film. I think it's fantastic. But Bird was very much like there had never been an animated superhero film like before this. But since the Fleischer Superman shorts that it had this much money and this much attention, this much care taken into it. It's kind of weird going back to it now and being like, yeah. This does feel like it understands exactly what superhero culture is going to become like decades and decades down the line to the point where I think like Syndrome has aged better than Screen Slaver from Incredibles 2. Yeah, absolutely. To pick an yes. example. Yes. Um, but yeah, and, and okay, I guess we have to talk about the other thing that Andrew kind of <laughs> pulled the pin out of. Um, I'm surprised you're so he- hesitant to. Well, it's just because... I, I don't have that much to say about it. Yeah. It, it's just the the... the the idea of like you 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 can't like that 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 there are great um, men and women in 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 our society that need to be kind of unshackled and let to do they they and I'm not sorry I'm not endorsing this and it's kind of uncertain whether the movie is or uh, yeah. or, or not either but but it's 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 it, it feels very kind of like transparently kind of um Ayn Rand and I, I, I know Darren I think you mentioned that it um people wrote about it in that way at the time and that Brad Bird was kind of like no not really but I, it's great I mean, that you're having scene. that grown up conversation yeah i mean there is a scene andrew where dash is talking to his mom and going you know you always say uh, do your best do your best but you don't really mean it because if i did my best i'd I'd leave those scrubs in the dust. 
Well, yeah, the bit where that's the conversation where yeah. she says everybody's special, and he responds well, with that. That just means nobody is. And again, like yeah. you have the the conversation. It's really weird that a ten year old killed understood. But that. where but where Bob <laughs> is having the conversation, and he's like, "You're not coming to your son's graduation." He's like, "He's moving to the fourth grade." They give a tr- yeah. like they find new yeah. ways yeah. of rewarding mediocrity, which is very much like your dad shaking his fist at participation, <laughs> yeah. which is basically what that old is. man shakes fist at cloud. But like that's that's the thing is that at its core, this is a movie about people who are exceptional and people who yeah. are it's born a, howard rourke's um kind of from atlas uh, shrugged is uh, is howard rourke i think is fountainhead fountainhead okay so but, and, i get and my presumably there's some other jerk in, in, in atlas shrugged <laughs> i don't know which is the one, um, one that's about architecture and one's about trains uh fountainhead is about architecture and okay I'm, so I'm atlas, atlas must shrugged must be about trains trains yeah. all right but um but yeah, so the thing is that basically it's about people who are born special. Like, that's the thing is that all these superheroes are born with their abilities. They just have natural, innate talent that makes them better than other They're people. Mutants. But like... ju- just by virtue of existing. And like, no amount of like skill or work or effort or inventiveness is going to make you as good as somebody who has just been born with that ability. But it, it's also like, come the age, come the man, and then like, get out of the man's way. <laughs> Yeah. Like that, that, that no statue was ever built to a committee. Yeah. And that like all of these people have had kind of their say and they've kind of like had their lawsuits and the politicians yes. have gotten involved and, and all of a sudden like uh, these, these uh, tremendous people no longer like have a I'll say in society and can yeah, no longer yeah. contribute and can no longer give their gifts. And it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, like a, a, a very kind of um, I you know, like you could say you could say problematic. I think problematic is like a, a bit, maybe yeah, a little a, bit excessive. A, well, yeah, yeah, it, it's maybe excessive, but it's maybe not an interesting way to talk about it. Yeah, because it kind of stops more discussion than it starts. That's fair. Yeah, it, um, but you could say that it's it's you you could go down all sorts of arguments. You could say that it's some sort of like criticism of of like what Nietzsche would call like slave morality. Okay. Andrew. No, 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 Andrew, that's me getting excited. It's an I'm not, interesting that's, that's, movie. I'm not disapproving of your comment. I'm getting excited. <laughs> 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 that's my excited voice. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, like again, in, in contemporary criticism, like in the New York Times review, you have like A.O. Scott saying, you know, um, The Incredibles written by Brad Bird and released under the Mighty Pixar brand is not subtle in announcing its central theme. Some people have powers that others do not, and to deny them the right to exercise those powers or the privileges that accompany them is misguided, cruel, and socially destructive. This intensity with which The Incredibles advances its central idea, it suggests a thorough, feverish immersion in both the history of American comic books and the philosophy of Ayn Rand is startling. At last, a computer-animated family picture worth arguing with and about. Luckily, though, Mr. Bird's disdain for mediocrity is not simply ventriloquized through his ta- characters, but is manifest in his meticulous, fiercely coherent approach to animation. That's that's A.O. Scott writing in the New York Times in 2004. And here's the Christian Science Monitor responding <laughs> to it, right? Where Makita Brotman, who is the professor of language and literature at the Maryland Institute College of Art in Baltimore, says... I can't help thinking of philosopher Frederick Nietzsche and his idea that some people are better and more deserving than others. The movie salutes Superman, not the Superman in comic books, but the one despots believe in. 
Its idea simply yeah. seems to be that even in democracy, some people are more equal than others and the rest of us shouldn't be so presumptuous as to get in their way. And yeah. obviously that idea has accelerated and grown. The National Review named it the second best conservative movie of all time. Um, and I think like... But it's a weird kind of... I just a, like the fact that the kid ran really fast. It's a weird kind of a conservatism though because it kind of runs counter to like... Um, traditional Judeo-Christianity as well yeah. to the point that now like in America there's there's a prosperity gospel <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> as opposed to an actual gospel yeah yeah it's like Jesus wants to be rich <laughs> <laughs> Carpenter wants to get paid am I right yeah, um, yeah. but like it makes me think of the eyes, eyes of Tammy Faye for some reason um, but like Okay, well, just to speak in the defense of it, because I do think, like, that discussion gets somewhat overblown. Yeah. Uh, and I think Perhaps, that, yeah. I think that yeah. there is, like, I think that why Bird is interested in this theme is tied to things that we have talked about, and I'll run through very, very briefly in a moment. But, like, it's not an objectivist Ayn Rand text, because Ayn Rand's belief is that these people should use their gifts only for themselves. Whereas fundamentally, Bird's stories are well, about people who I, use I, their gifts I, for the goods of other people, whether I, it's cooking for other people or being a superhero and protecting and saving other people. That so, sort of stuff. So, um, yeah. I, That's I, a technical I, distinction, to be clear, but it's an important one. Yeah, I suppose. It, 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 I, I, I guess if Ayn Rand was here, and thank God she said, <laughs> um, she would say that, 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 that greater good comes from that. Yeah, that pursuit of, of the, excellence. That, that pursuit of excellence. That like Henry Ford didn't like want to make um, it easier for people to to get around. To he get wanted around. to make a business, but that that's a product of of yeah. of his kind of like singular vision. Yeah. Whereas, um, but it's harder to make that argument it, with superheroes unless yeah. you're making an argument that it's like a weird sex thing. Or but something. she thinks that of people like <laughs> kind of start out yeah. out of kind of like a a a, a spirit of service, yeah. like that, that 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 that's not kind of like. She feels like there's more more purity in. Well, I I I'm I'm not like an expert on any of this stuff, so I don't. I in in spite of the disagreeing, um, in, like I find that stuff interesting, and while I disagree with it, I don't want to kind of. Um, tra- even when I'm being fair to it, I don't feel like I'm I'm uh, uh, representing it because I'm not an adherent. Yeah. Like like I, I yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, like, and it's worth noting that objectivism has a rich history in American superhero comics. The guy who created Spider-Man, Steve Ditko, was an objectivist. He created the character The Question to push that line. He also created the character of Mr. A. He wrote The Question and The Question wasn't objectivist enough. So he wrote Mr. A, whose job was to explain to kids reading the comics about the importance of objectivism. Uh, we'll include some of those in the show notes. They are complete. Sure. They're, they're, they're an interesting way of looking at the world. But sorry, D, uh, Graham, do you guys have anything? To, sorry, myself and Andrew have been yelling at each other back and forth on this. This is what happens when we get the two of you in a room. <laughs> yeah, I, I would more say it's very sweet pillow talk. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, does, it does feel like... like a, I love but, how excited Darren got. <laughs> Darren got so excited. When I said Nietzsche. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's okay, you can come out, D. We know you're there. Uh, <laughs> Um, but hey, listen, uh, I was as much in the shadows as well. Uh, but okay, so so if if you guys don't want to add to that, what I will say very briefly is that I think. I okay, well, Dee, do you want do you want to say anything on that, or is there? Oh, on Nietzsche, no. Reading, but I. Have... <laughs> <laughs> but I have other things. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, just to to close the thread or close the loop on the Ran Nietzsche objectivist stuff, I think like this is just again this is the work of an auteur. It's it's the fact that Bird. We talked about it last week. 
He spent years in Disney trying to do exceptional work, trying to do good work, trying to push the medium forward and being constantly foiled by a company that did not want to do that stuff. He's talked about like how nightmarish it was to work on those movies and see all this. It's the plot to the fountainhead. (laughs) But he lived it, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Where, where, Where it's like kind of like, you 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 can't you can try to to kind of keep this person down but you won't yeah it, it's it's like the the fountainhead if instead of architecture it was the fox and the hound um yeah. all right sorry d what, what, what but anyway that is my that is my kind of take on it it's I feel like that was an insult you upset graham <laughs> <laughs> this is my my this is my ta- that's my take on it anyway my, is that like it, it comes from a very personal place for bird I don't think it's political. I think it's emotional. And I understand why it's a recurring theme in his work. But sorry, do you had things you want to mention about the film? Things to discuss? Uh, yes. Okay. So I wanted to talk about some of my favorite scenes because there are actually just so many great scenes in this movie. So many great set pieces. Um, I love, uh, you know, when um, Bob and uh, Frozone, is it Fro? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yes. Thank you. I uh, get that call. Um, and they're in the burning building and then they end up in the accidental bank robbery and they freeze the police. It's just so cool. Um, you make us look like criminals. Inept criminals. <laughs> I also love and actually I'm going to bring this up. Remind me when we're talking about Ratatouille about how I don't like how Brad Bird uses this in Ratatouille. But I really like the talking heads opening scene in this movie, the old TV footage where they're oh, interviewing the celebrities and they're so like sharp tongued and witty and the interviewer is like laughing along. And I think it's really interesting how it plays on that whole idea of like the egos and how they're they're kind of playing a character as the superhero. Um, because even like Elastigirl is saying like, I'm not going to settle down. And then like she's getting married. So <laughs> immediately settles down. I'm up, I'm, up here with, I'm up here with the big guns. Yeah. But, o- uh, opening, yeah. opening a movie with news uh, uh, footage kind of reminds me of Robocop a little bit. Obligatory Robocop reference. <laughs> I'm so happy you got that that in. You did that on purpose. That was a blip. Um, Also love the final fight. There are so many of these movies that build and build and build and just the final fight is not satisfying. And then of course... When you mean final fight, do you mean against the robot or them against Syndrome? I mean uh, against the robot. I I think the Syndrome is a bit of like tag on, but I mean, that's I suppose kind of an emotional finale more so than the action finale. Um, And then of course I have to mention the honey scene. Where is Mass Super Suit? That's so good. Because we have not... Two films and we... St- oh my gosh. Like, I love... Ed- Two films and we still haven't seen his wife. Yeah, yeah. I love um, Edna Mode and I love um, Lucius, a.k.a. Frozone. He's so cool. He is yes. Samuel L. Jackson as a superhero character and he is as, like, satisfyingly cool as we wanted him to be. Um, so, yeah, just there are some things that I love about the movie. Uh, and and to, to kind of bring back something Graham asked earlier, which is what does the robot mean or what does the robot represent? Because uh, I did set this up and promise that I had a crazy read on it. Good. The robot is a robot that, like everybody else in the movie, decides it is too excellent to be dictated to by mediocre men. Yes, I like, like that. That is quite... That is quite literally the robot's arc. It decides, like, like, like Mr. Incredible decides he's not having buddies crap. The robot decides it's not having buddies <laughs> crap. Buddies crap. Well, like, that, that's- Elastigirl also decides she's not having her husband's crap. It's very much a running theme in this movie. Mm. People are not having people's crap. The kids are not having their mom's crap. They're getting on that plane <laughs> and going to save dad. Jack-Jack is not having that babysitter's crap. Exactly. Uh. What a scene! <laughs> oh, I love uh, and to speak like on the whole film as a like a thing watching because I wanted to make sure that I watched all of the Incredibles, so I included Jack Jack Attack, 
And I love that in 2005, they had prepped all of his powers already for a film that wouldn't be coming out for another decade and a half. Like, you watch Jack-Jack Attack and almost all his powers are on show. Like, his teleportation, his Hulk form, his his, his human torch. Um, and it was... It, it was he, he, Jack-Jack is such a fun character and... I can't remember. I I mean, my memory is terrible, but I'm fairly certain I interviewed someone for Incredibles two, and talking. Did you not interview Bad Bird? Yeah. Did I interview Bad Bird? Coach. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not interview. No, I did not interview him. <laughs> um, I God, did I interview Bad Bird? Um, I, I think I remember. I feel like he was you. over. Yeah. yeah, I think he, he was, was over, over for here, it. I yeah, think. yeah, because I remember ask. I I. Th- either, this would be a story to lead with. <laughs> yeah, because because either it's it's either um, I asked about powers, like because Jack Jack has so many powers, and like there was the difficulties of coming up with the multitude of powers for Jack Jack and animating them and coming up with like new software to to animate him in the second film because obviously we only got little teases of it in this one, and he's such a like I love Jack Jack because I I'm a sucker for this. This is a thing everyone will know. I'm a sucker for overpowered characters. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for the Superman, the the Martian Manhunter, uh, Hyperion from Marvel characters who have a slew of powers, and some of them are just weird. Like he's like if this is an analogy for the Fantastic Four, he is Franklin Richards. Jack Jack is Franklin Richards, the most overpowered character in all of Marvel comics, and I don't. I just I just love the fact that he's like he's so effortlessly just uses all his powers. It's just really funny and cute, and he's I also think, a Jack Jack devil- also voiced by Brad Bird. Devil Child. No, I don't well. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, that's basically yeah. his Hulk form. That I always called his Hulk form just because no, he gets you know scary. Yeah, but yeah, but it he, is. De- you are right. It is a devil form. He's, he's a like a, a, a warlock to like Satan. <laughs> and, um, well, I mean, Edna Edna in the second film describes it. There is, there. I believe the quote, and again, I'm not, I don't have notes from this because I just watched it for pleasure, like an idiot. Um, but it was like <laughs> it's something like there is no solution to the tantrum involving cookies that does not result in the devil child. <laughs> <laughs> I just. <laughs> I, I just I just loved him. He was so much fun. He like Jack Jack is just absolutely brilliant and his his power sets and everything is just I don't know, that was just really fun. And to stop touching on a really weird topic, the fact that do you think Brad Bird hates capes? Like, <laughs> no like, capes. Do you think this is like a thing? No, no capes. capes. <laughs> because that's that's literally Brad Bird, the director and storyteller of this film, saying don't no capes are really stupid, and I'm surprised I, more superheroes I, have not died. Can, can I throw a pitch to you, Graham? Go for it. Capes are difficult to animate because they need to flap. Oh in the wind. yeah, because they have so much in the way I, of movement. I think I think it's one of those kind of Quentin Tarantino kind yes. of um, uh, takes touches, on the genre. Uh, to yeah, yeah. Whereas, oh, like, okay, sorry, I, I did interview Brad Bird. I interviewed him and John Walker. <laughs> oh. That's why I interviewed. Okay. <laughs> yes, I forgot that. That's really annoying. <laughs> I love that we're mentioning this two hours into the podcast. Our own we're, expert. We're talking, about, we're, we're, t- we're talking about like we're talking about is the movie that is bird. The, season yeah, of bird. I've met him. Yeah, um, we'll do an entire <gasps> bonus. Oh, episode. I also oh. meant to say I, we should have also flagged at the start of this Brad Bird season that the last movie that the three of us went to see together was Blackbird. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, we have sorry. to mention this for bird watching season. Well, sorry, oh, we didn't we didn't go together. Sorry, I mean that we saw each other at, but I mean yeah, that was yeah. that was hilarious. Uh, oh, we yeah. are we are oh, seeing we are covering Blackbird later in the year. You oh, are! Sorry, oh my gosh! What, really? Can I come? Can I come too? Yeah, please. I, I, I want to talk really about awkward. We I shouldn't have mentioned this. It has to be okay, the added, uh, it's the yeah, added. We were at the premiere. bird no, watching season. <laughs> but you see, it can we, be two things. We swoop in. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I actually have, a, I actually just remembered, I have a funny anecdote about interviewing Brad Bird. Uh, if you mentioned Tomorrowland, like saying you liked it, you got a pin for, for The Incredibles too. <laughs> if you mentioned, if you mentioned Tomorrowland, I don't know whether in a negative or in a positive, because I really loved uh, um, Tomorrowland. He, he apparently would give you a, a pin for Incredibles 2, which I have because I was told this by someone and I was like, I love, I love Tom- Tomorrowland. So one of the reps, I won't say who, because I don't want to get anyone in trouble just in case, uh, said, oh, okay, hold Brad on. Bird listening to the podcast yeah, going. I would, oh, are you kidding me? I'd love if that happened. Uh, came in and gave me, I was like, well, like here, because he, any, anytime someone mentions Tomorrowland, uh, he gives them an Incredibles 2 pin. I was like, that's amazing. Aww, that's lovely. Kind of suggests how well Tomorrowland performed culturally and at the box office, I, to be fair. I, I, I mean, Plenty listen, of pins I mean, like, left I over. Really liked, I really liked Tomorrowland. And I, like, going back to this whole fact of this being a bird season, I don't think he's done a bad film. I, I would agree with that. I don't like Tomorrowland that much, but it is a well-made film. Mm. I'd love to see uh, Dee's thoughts on it since she's been watching, because it's on it's on Disney+. Plus. I actually did add it to my watch list, but as you know, it ends up being quite short between this and the last podcast, so I haven't fair, had a fair, chance to fair. watch it yet. <laughs> not, not to cast any aspersions but anybody <laughs> here. I only got to watch The Incredibles twice. I got to watch Jack-Jack Attacks. I watched The Incredibles 2. I didn't get a chance to watch Tomorrowland. <laughs> exactly. Am I wrong in saying that there is a Tomorrowland at Disney? Yes, that is yes. where that was commissioned That's from. What's the idea from. was the idea was yeah. like Pirates of the Caribbean that. had been a massive as, success. As, yeah. like, and Haunted Mansion. We we said it's yeah. actually on Disney Plus as if that was a surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. It being on HBO Max, that's the twist. Um, but yeah, and, and yeah, so I think that's really about it. Then, Graham, is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything else that you love about this movie? I just love everything. I mean, it's so much fun. Um, I I have the most fun with superhero uh, films uh, when they celebrate what it is to be a superhero and they're good at it. Like, there's good writing behind it to bolster it. Um being a superhero in this world, in there, in the world of the Incredibles, it seems like it's going to be a lot of trouble, but at the height of it, it's going to be a lot of fun because you're going on great adventures. I mean, a lot of them do end up dead and in prison, presumably. I didn't want to bring that up. Why did you bring that well, up? Because you just said it was fun being a superhero. I feel also, like it's the next point. film. Also, the next story, which even though it's 15 years later, is only 30 minutes in the uh, film. Um, superheroes are on the up, so you know. I mean, that's that's a good thing, and they also go on a murderous rampage. Yeah, because they're being controlled by a supervillain. Anyway, anyway, anyway. But I, like, uh, what I will, what I want to shout out because we haven't acknowledged it is just how good the storytelling is mm. here. Mm. Like, it's very good at setup and payoff. You mentioned the idea of capes. That no capes bit begins as a joke yeah. and then becomes yeah. payoff with syndrome at the finale. Uh, things Chekhov's like cape. 
Chekhov's cape, but even small things like the montage of like Mr. Incredible being a good dad to Dash, where he's doing like throw and Dash goes long and catches go it. Long. That comes into play. <laughs> that comes into play again at the end with the remote. It's go yeah. long. So much of this movie is so like brilliantly meticulously oh, kind of Violet as well when she can't save them on the plane, but yeah. then she saves yeah. them at the very end. It's so heartening. <laughs> like that 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 <laughs> moment is like heartbreaking where Mrs. Incredible turns to her and goes, basically, look. I know you can't do this, but I need you to. Yeah, and I, you need to do this or we're dead. Yeah, I can't. I, I like. I don't want to put pressure on you because I know you're probably not. But here's a lot of pressure. It, but also, we will die if you don't. Um, like, and the fact that she, as as D says, the classic storytelling trope of she fails, and then she succeeds, yeah. and when she succeeds, it's all the more heartwarming because it was more heartbreaking yeah. when she and, failed. It's and, just and good you, storytelling. You do that as well with. Uh, with Mr. Incredible when uh, when 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 he's he 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 is defeated um so well in like kind of the second third of the movie yeah mm. and that that kind of goes to show how good a a, a storyteller Brad Brad Bird is because you need to do that yeah, to have the arc kind of on the way back. I mean, even even you have the kid on the trike who's waiting for something oh. amazing. And then at the end, that was totally wicked. <laughs> it's so good. I missed him. In the, I missed him in the second film. And I did it's too. Done, it's done in a classic yeah. setup, and, like development and, payoff structure. One, yeah. two, three. You it's see the three it's the, yeah, it's the one, two, three punch. And you perfectly set up the sequel because everybody is like, oh my God, it's like the end of um, Batman Begins, where it's like the Underminer. Finally, John Ratzenberger <laughs> returns. Yeah. We've done. We've done all the setup. We can finally get to the big incredible yeah, villains. Finally. Like, yeah. well, I uh, uh, to be fair, to be fair, I love the the one liner. I am underneath you, but nothing is beneath me. <laughs> <laughs> like and, and the Underminer. I'm not sure if there's a short. Oh, is it the Underminer? Is the Underminer the short? Bon voyage. Bon voyage. <laughs> Under- oh, bon voyage. Bon voyage is so <laughs> mean. So it's so incredible. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what is he nearly oath? kills the, he nearly kills buddy by putting that little bomb on him like that's dark but the fact that and then all you see of him is just the smirk of his you don't even get a reaction shot from him you just see the smirk of his face at oh, the wait. edge of the frame it's so french yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you be able to do you be able to tell us this before is bon voyage in ratatouille uh, is there like a visual gag that that there's a mime there and it's bon voyage. I mean, I, I always connect their films weirdly. I don't remember that being a thing, but you know how Pixar is really into their little yeah, really Easter, eggs. Easter eggs. Um, it wasn't immediately recognizable, but now that you say it, I want to go back and check it out. Maybe. Uh, if only there was an opportunity to. <laughs> Graham, you 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 mentioned you asked, um, is there an underminer? Uh, I short. Think, is there, short? No, there there is an underminer video yeah. game. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. they relegated. Yeah. That's re- I feel that's kind of mean that they relegated underminer to a game. Well, he gets the entire opening sequence of the next movie. To be fair, oh, he does. Yeah, he does. He does. Good for good for John. You should be happy with what he gets. <laughs> Damn. Stay, stay in the dirt. Yeah, stay in his place. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess I guess that's really it. And then obviously the fact that, yeah, this this feels like a better adaptation of the Fantastic Four than any Fantastic Four adaptation we've, we've ever gotten. This feels perhaps like a better adaptation of Watchmen than any adaptation of Watchmen we've ever got. Despite the fact Brad Bird has never read Watchmen. He's like, I don't know what comics are. <laughs> I have three kids. When I'm not working, I sleep. What do you expect me to do here? All right, then. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Anything we haven't discussed with regards to The Incredibles? Um, 
I know it's something that's all, uh, that you know it, it's kind of like the go to like oh it has great music but it does have such great music like even when yeah it does did it, did it, did it. even watching like the closing credits and that orchestra like when they yeah. get oh it's so good and actually the Incredibles two like closing credits pretty much uses the exact same song again that da, 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 da. I think it's, so yeah it's Michael yeah. Giacchino it's his it's I believe his theatrical feature film debut so he'd worked oh, wow. in video games he'd been J.J. Abrams guy he worked on Lost he worked on Alias for example uh, but this and he'd worked on Shorts as well obviously he goes on and becomes a director in his own right he does like Woo. Werewolf by Night and stuff but he, yeah, he this was I believe his big theatrical break and he'd obviously go on to become a regular Pixar guy. He worked, obviously, we mentioned on Up, for example, is his score. Uh, and obviously The Incredibles 2 and stuff as well. But yeah, the score is amazing. And the retro 60-ness of the movie. I think Andrew kind of alluded yeah, to it. Fun. But the production design on this thing is gorgeous. It looks like, again, weirdly like a Mission Impossible film. Which it is does. ironic given where Brad Bird would go, yeah. All like, the all the retro nostalgia you want with none of the problematic problems of the actual past. Even like you've got like that island backdrop, which I feel like is so like 60s spy thriller. And you've got it's, all the... Yeah, it's And you've got all the gadgets. Like I love that black ball one. Like I just think that that's oh, still... The one where they oh, the one that's so just clever. The perfect way to take out someone with super strength. Yeah. It's the perfect way. It's a na- nightmare ball. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's yes. Like, like I, I once had this kind of fever hallucination where the the I reached for toilet paper and it turned into like black tar and just kind of like melted off of the and then the whole room started to kind of like melt how recent like was this black oh this was years and years and years ago but but it, it reminded me of that there is something really upsetting yeah about about that scene and the way in which it's shot and cut really rapidly as well yeah, which is really it's, disconcerting it's suffocating it feels suffocating yeah. Which is, again, just really, really well directed. But yeah, a gorgeous movie, which I feel like, again, I like that at the end we're like, it's really well written and it's gorgeous. Those are the two <laughs> big takeaways. But like, I, I think it has aged very well. I think like it's its animation is very old fashioned. You won't confuse it for a movie from five years ago. But I do think that it looks, its design is strong enough that it looks like an aesthetic choice. You could confuse I, I will it for... say there is one scene. There is one scene that's dated. Oh, what was the one back. scene you wanted to date? Uh, yeah, this this one scene. Um, I'm sorry to do this just at the end, like, 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 a, like a final stab in the back. Um, but the Open scene the can of worms. First, where you first see uh, Jack Jack in the in the sink with uh, Mrs. Incredible. Where she's watching, the, she's finally moved in. Yeah, the where she's like, moved in. that scene, that scene. When you go from where Bob is in the office to her, the backgrounds in that are awful. Outside looks like it was pasted on with, with like glue. It looks, there's no, there's no, I, I, I hate doing this. Um, there's no like textures on the grass. It's just it's just all just flat matted green, and it looks awful. And it, it I was surprised at how bad it looked because everything else looked everything else looked grand. I like, I kind of like the way that suburbia in the movie kind of looks like it's this pasted geometric shapes. It's just this bland that's nowhere. Fair. That's that's a good that's a, that's um, a good point actually. Yeah, if you're you, you could be quite generous on that point. Yeah. I, Sorry, maybe I am being generous. Apologies. No, no, no. I, no, that's a genuine takeaway from it's, it. It's maybe fair considering what you're trying to say about suburbia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or what um, the movie is trying. And yeah, and and finally, just I think we didn't say oh, and Holly Hunter is amazing. His boss is Richard Nixon as well. His box is Richard Nixon. <laughs> He's also a Sicilian, isn't he? As well, yeah. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> you keep oh, using... sorry. No, I mean his boss in in um, 
in the program. Oh, oh yes. Oh, oh, yeah, he's yeah. cool. That makes much more sense. Sorry, yeah, I thought you were talking about Wallace Shawn. Um, <laughs> but um, all right then. So nothing else you want to say about this movie? What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something for listeners to enjoy. It can be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that is bringing you joy in these confusing times. So to give Graham, to give Dee a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. So we mentioned the 60s of it, and something we talked a lot about when we spoke about the Iron Giant was... uh, The uh, 50s of it. The the Cold War and the 50s of it. Um, And I think this is... um, It feels like kind of um obliquely kind of like a, a cold war movie although maybe it's a stretch but it's certainly a spy movie it's a it's a james bond movie yes um and jim J- J- like as, as any listeners to the podcast would be sick of 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 me talking about i uh i, I like <laughs> james bond movies but i i um it that 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 Ian Fleming is a poor man's John Le Carre, and, <laughs> and, and, and that and that and, and, and that I've recently been reading uh, Mission Song, which is um, uh, it's the audio book actually, Sorry. and it's 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 voiced by uh, um, uh, David Ayelowo. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very very good, and it's 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 brilliant as well because Michael Jason normally reads those books yeah and he reads he reads all of the characters whether they're a woman or a person of color or and sometimes you're just kind of like no my god oh, no. oh, i don't know but they made they made the wise oh, but, but i was out of line when i raised questions about edna <laughs> no 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 the the um but um they made the wise decision in in, in two, uh, <laughs> To 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 uh, to to play an African interpreter, well, like a British African interpreter born in 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 the DRC, um, and it it's it does that fantastic thing that kind of late John le Carre um works do, is um that it draws attention to things, it it holds up a mirror to uh to British society and to kind of like world kind of geopolitics and the 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 lack of attention um to the kind of great african war um and it it, it's it's terrific as well it's just really enjoyable you know can i I just say i love that you set that up it's like it's like you know this reminds me a lot of james bond movies and i know i've talked a lot about james lacare but to be clear i'm not going to talk about james bond i'm going to talk about john lacare yeah, yeah, I, I kind yeah, of admired they, the they, setup there. Yeah, but but it, they, yeah, because because they're 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 it's in the spy genre. No, I know. I yeah, know. yeah, so and and, and um, aside from that, um, I guess on on maybe the same topic of like kind of Cold War. Uh, I I read Mark Mark Galliotti's short history of Russia, um, which is um, just as it says in the tin, it's um, it 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 it's short and gives kind of like an idea of what Russia is and the kind of the, the mythos um, of, of, of it, which is, I guess, helpful maybe in, in, in these times. His kind of central thesis is that it's, a, 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 I think he calls it a palimpsest um, oh, yeah. kind of country where, 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 where the first 
kind of written record of um, uh, Russia after the conversion of um, by like Saint Saint Vladimir, who Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Zelensky are both named after. Uh, one of the first kind of manuscripts had already been used like six or seven or eight times before. Um, okay. As 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 in that it it was like a a a a tablet. Yeah. That had been scrubbed <laughs> and, with, rewritten. With, uh, and rewritten. We'll take another draft so, of that yeah, one. Yeah. So that 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 they were able the to no, but that they, that they, they were able to go back in time and see like the the. This uh, this kind of um, has been has been written, written. over by um, so it it was telling older histories previously kind of layered and, almost like sediment yeah yeah which which, which and, and it goes through all of the kind of like the the, the Vikings and the Byzantines wow. and the Mongols and uh, every, 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 everything pretty much um, and it, it it's, it's it's fascinating um, yeah and it gives a, I, I guess a lot of context about kind of stuff that's um happening at the moment and and because there 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 are there are people who have a kind of like an idea of history which isn't really kind of reflected the reality <laughs> reflected in history i guess um or well yeah, uh, yeah and maybe that's about it yeah <laughs> probably leave it leave it leave it leave it there and i think there was going to be something else but go, I oh, you forgot? go for it go for it no, I can't remember okay. what it is now. I, I will if I say, think but, of it, I'll say it. By the way, we because Iron Giant last year, last oh week, yeah, the Fountainhead. The fa- I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I actually don't think that's such a bad book, and it, it was given to me by a friend, and then another friend grabbed it and threw it in a <laughs> pond. <laughs> they were like, don't, don't read that bad, don't read that bad book. And they're like, they're right. I, 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 I get their point, but it's an interesting point of view put forward in the book, and as a piece of literature, I think it's not that. Bad. I have this um, image of Andrew drying it with a hair dryer, yeah, like yeah, Bob yeah, Carr. <laughs> but, but because it was a gift, I was given, no, I, I, I was I, given I, it by a friend, and 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 I, I I read it and did enjoy it, and it got me thinking of, of, about things. But don't read it and be converted <laughs> by it. You know, read read it, read it, and kind of take on on board the arguments in some sense, and in, and consider kind of, another and then way throw it into him. a river. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it can 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 consider it as kind of like part of of your kind of um as uh, like like even even as a counter argument, it, it's I I I think useful because um the idea of uh, selfishness is obviously kind of something that um isn't uh like supported or condoned in in the kind of society that we live in and it's an argument essentially for for those um, virtues or yeah, virtues uh, in inverted commas uh, selfishness and you could argue that there why would we need an argument for that when there is so much greed all, <laughs> all, 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 already in this world but in terms of understanding that I world guess, view. that that worldview it, I, I i i thought it was very uh, useful and i think for people who are selfless as well or, or for people who like to think of themselves as selfless to have like maybe a little modicum of selfishness can can to can experience it vicariously almost 
Yeah, or just to cut to cut it. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's probably unclear to any, everybody, including myself, what, what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> so I, I think I'll stop. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say was um, we last year, last week, The Iron Giant was a 99 movie. We did not go to the 99 machine. But the, week, <laughs> the weekend that The Iron Giant was released was the weekend that uh, Boris Yeltsin fired his fourth prime minister. And he would replace him with Vladimir Putin. <laughs> Just to put everything in its historical context. So, D, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, so I wanted to give a couple of recommendations related to The Incredibles, but I was kind of struggling a bit. But in terms of like just a really fun superhero movie that I thoroughly enjoyed, um, Shazam was the example that was immediately coming to me, I think, as well, because... I saw Black Adam the other week and I was watching it thinking Shazam is such a good movie and this is such a bad movie. Like it's just such a shame uh, that they have to be in any way related to one another. It really does feel that way. Um, And then when we were kind of talking there about uh, syndrome and toxic fandom and stuff like that, I was thinking of another kind of more contemporary uh, take on that uh, whole idea, Ingrid Goes West, which I thoroughly yes. enjoyed with um, Audrey Plaza, Audrey Plaza and, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen. Olsen. Yeah, it's 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 just it's a real dark comedy, but I just remember really thoroughly enjoying it. And I feel like I've seen other movies attempt that concept, but I think that's the best version of it I've seen. Like even in terms of like something like Spree, which is just okay, and just looking at like kind of the I love Spree. Yeah, I I it was okay. I just think when it when it comes to like the whole idea of how dark can social, social media, media really get, mm-hmm. I just thought that the way Ingrid Goes West kind of went about exploring that idea, it it kind of really resonated with me anyway, and I just found it. That's on Prime, isn't it? Um, I watched it when it was. I think it was on Prime, but you know how they keep on adding and deleting movies. So yeah, I know because yeah, I would want to. I would want to watch that. Yeah, it's really frustrating. Um, so I'm not sure exactly where you can find it. Oh, by the way, um, if you're listening, really good resource is justwatch.com/ie. I think it is. Um, if you want to look up where anything is streaming in Ireland, super handy resource. Um, and then just in terms of what I'm watching at the moment, um, I've been watching Love Is Blind season three, which I know is <laughs> complete trash. It is trash. But but I rather enjoy it. Um, I am a big, hopeless romantic and I just love a bit of like reality TV where everything just goes to... It's it's great. It's I find it very entertaining as far as television goes. Uh, so, yeah, they're my recommendations. I mean, I do think that Frozone would appreciate Love is Blind because super ladies, they're always trying to tell them their secret <laughs> identity. They'll strengthen their relationship or something. It's like, no, 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 you just shoot like... Honey would, honey would totally make Frozone watch <laughs> Love is Blind with her. I know it. Um, worth shouting out that, yeah, Ingrid Goes West is not on Amazon Prime in IE, but it is available uh, to rent or buy on Google Play, wow. iTunes, wherever uh, good movies or bad movies are available. Graham, yeah. what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Uh, currently, uh, I was thinking about like family related things, you know, interesting kind of uh, twists on the genre. Uh, and on Crunchyroll, I am currently watching an anime called uh, Spy Family. One Piece? No, well, yeah, yeah, yes, but like I, I was still continuing. I hadn't actually said. But also, One Piece is also no. I'm, I'm going to finish my first part. Okay, sorry, um, sorry. <laughs> so, Spy Family. It is. It's also set in. Uh, it's a period drama. It's set in. Uh, a very clearly Germanic-inspired uh, country, 
with the East is fighting the West, and you follow this man called Twilight. He's a spy, super spy. Um, he can, you know, full disguise, and he's like the greatest spy of all time. And his latest mission is that he needs to get into a meeting with one of the prime ministers. And to do that, he has to adopt a child, and he has to get married, and live the life of a normal father uh, <laughs> to get to this man. And so he adopts a child, she's psychic, can read his thoughts, so she now is in on the mission, but she doesn't let him know that. And then he marries this woman that he just meets uh, one day on a whim. And spoilers. She... <laughs> no, it's in the first episode! And you find that it's the premise of the, it's the, premise of the show. And the woman is a trained assassin. She's the greatest assassin of all time. And the child, because she's, she's telepathic, also gets the thoughts of the mom. So now she knows that her mom is a super assassin. Her dad's a super spy. And she is trying to make, trying to have the best life she can while she's trying to complete her father's mission of getting to this prime minister via his son, who she hopes to befriend. And it is the greatest most heartwarming story that's bittersweet that talks about you know that that's obviously quite touching on like clearly allegories to world war one was trying to stop um trying to stop a potential world war two and it's it's so well animated and the comedy is pitch perfect um like how they get a dog because she wants a dog she wants a normal life because obviously she's a psychic so she want she was tested on as a when she was younger what else happened and how they get a dog is hilarious and it's onto its for it's still in its first season it's on 16th episode right now and it's on crunchyroll you can get crunchyroll for a 30 days free trial or you can just watch it free but it has ads if you pay for it uh Per, uh, per year you get no ads and it's it's a fantastic service i really recommend it and it's, it's a like wonderful an eight euro rolling charge it's eight euro crunchy rolling charge yeah Dar- darren really recently spoiled um <laughs> house of a dragon he told me everything that happened in, did you in, in episode 10 when the, the wow the, darren because it the the the, the dragon well, talks to her and, and well, says like, i didn't think you're in, that. You're don't in, say guys i haven't seen it he says you're in it you're in a television show and i was like the dragon can talk and, I was like, and, I, and they've did, broken the fort wall how did i know that i didn't want to ruin the eddie murphy cameo for you but no, we were talking no, about him anyway so i was like you come out of retirement for this it's like, look, it's one of the highest rated shows on television. Of course he's going to come out. Sorry. Sorry, Graham. No, no worries. No worries. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend Spy Family. It's one of the kind of best family shows out there that, like, will touch on everyone's kind of, like, you know, heartstrings. That's absolutely brilliant. And it's really fun. And the music is great. And then, yes, also another family oriented show that's all about superpowers and weirdos. And that is One Piece. Um, I'm still watching it. I'll probably never stop watching it because the show will never end. Is it about pirates? Yes, yes. They say they're pirates, but they're basically wizards. Like they 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 sail the high seas, but like I don't see many pirating moments between our main characters. And I was was watching House of the Dragon, uh, another great show about family and how dysfunctional that can be, (laughs) Uh, especially when (laughs) incest is involved. Um, And then finally, uh, I was watching incest is wincest. Um, Maybe for the first two hundred years. Uh, and then finally, I was watching Rings of Power, uh, which I know is getting flack, mixed reviews and all that. But I am one of the people who 
absolutely adored it. It's the kind of fantasy I've been looking for for a while where they're not trying to fully contemporize every aspect with like modern day music or such like that. I, I really enjoyed it's kind of it's it's epic fantasy, it's high fantasy, and I really appreciate some of the performances in it. Morfitt Clark is a an especial highlight, as is Charlie Vickers. Uh, I sadly can't think of the name of the actors who play Elrond and Durin, but they are also absolute highlights of the show. Um, it's a wonderful eight-episode season on Netflix, and I can't wait for the next on season. Amazon. 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 Sorry, sorry, sorry. Trust me, they did not spend that yes. much money for you to no, say it's not. on Netflix. No, Jesus, no. Oh, and, and <laughs> Jeff Bezos has somewhere put out a hit on Graham just for that. Yeah, like... Don't say that, he might. He's Lex Luthor. Uh, and I, I realized just now, Wendell and Wild. I recently saw that on Netflix. It is a stop-motion animation film from Henry Selleck. Many people know him from... Poor you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. Christmas. James. Yeah, 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 the actual guy who did Nightmare Before Christmas, not Tim Burton. He also did Coraline, as everyone just said there, which I actually have never watched. You should, it's great. It's one of the best 3D oh, movies. Oh, it's so good, but it's horrifying. Yeah, and yeah. this is... I, I really love... I really loved Wendell and Wild. Uh, it is so much fun. Stars Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key, um, and a bunch of other stars. Like James Hong is in there as well. Yes, James Hong is amazing in it. I can't think. Of, I sadly can't think of the main actor. Uh, what her name is, but it, she gives a wonderful performance. It's a really. Uh, it's Lyric and, Ross. Lyric, Lyric Ross. Ross is her name. Thank you. It's also got Angela Angela Bassett in there as well. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's Bing a wonderful fi- it's a wonderful film about you know what you'll do for family, what you'll go, what lengths you'll go through to get through the family, and um, you know it goes about in a weird kind of a kooky kind of way, but it's it's a really sweet film and it's really also really beautiful to watch. So that's kind of what I've been watching and what I highly recommend. Uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, I mentioned this is a movie here that reminds me a lot of Watchmen. The Watchmen TV show from David Lindelof was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Not enough people have seen it. It's on HBO. I'll hardly recommend seeking that out. Uh, if you are unlike Brad Bird and don't have time to spend with work and family and want to read comic books, I would wholeheartedly recommend Matt Fraction and Steve Leiber's recent run on Jimmy Olsen. Um, which I believe Ratish Babu, the comic book critic, argued is the defining American comic book of the 2010s. I don't know if I would go that far, uh, but it is a joyous read. It is very much Jimmy like... Jimmy Olsen. Jimmy comic Olsen. Book would be the, the, the defining comic book of oh, the... <laughs> 2010s. Uh, what does that say about that decade? <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that Andrew's like, yeah. He's Superman's pal. Um, but the, the, idea, the idea is that, again, it's tied into like this, a retro kind of 60s, 50s throwback, pastiche, all this sort of stuff. But it's also channeling the idea of what 1960s comic books were and Superman's friend with the idea of what it is like living through this modern hyper-dense information era where we are all Superman's friend because we are all constantly on Twitter or watching news or dealing with one perpetual crisis after the other mm. in which all the laws of reality in which we find ourselves are constantly isn't, upended. Isn't Superman's friend like always going to be like a little Safe. bit of a dweeb? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all? I, I, yeah, I love like, that like, Andrew's like, I can't identify feel with like that. like a dweeb next to, yeah. Um, but I do love that I, I love that I'm like, I, yeah, that's why I identify with him. Like, I can't relate to this guy at all. <laughs> I'm just so alpha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do love that Andrew's like, does this mean I'm Superman in this friendship? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I would wholeheartedly uh, recommend that. And Dee referenced it last week. We may already have talked about it due to the peculiarities of podcasts scheduling but i saw it this weekend it broke my heart i almost cried in the cinema watching it the banshees of enishiran um so good it is 
amazing. I, yeah, it broke my heart into tiny little pieces and kind of stomped all over them. And I was like, more. Sorry. Will we already have seen it? We may already have seen it. I'm Like, it, it's growing very slowly. It's, okay. it's, it's highly ranked. But not a not a lot of people are so watching. As it. of time of recording, we which, it is which 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 is the, the future. same time that you're listening. To yeah, it. right now, live. <laughs> yeah. Every time you hit play on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, if you if you haven't seen it because we haven't told you to go see it, <laughs> um, I would recommend taking time to go see it. All right. So D Graham, where can we find you? Watch out. So D, watch out. What are you up to? Uh, primarily on Twitter at Deirdre Malumby. That's D-E-I-R-D-R-E-M-O-L-U-M-B-Y. Um, all one word. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to find me. I'm not really active on the other platforms. So, yeah. And Graham, watch out. Where are you up to? I'm also on uh, Twitter, uh, Graham Geek Era. I'm not as nice as D. I'm not going to spell it out. Uh, figure it out. Um, I'm also on uh, Game Air. Uh, that's the video game website that I uh, that I edit, that I'm editor in chief of. I get to say that, which is nice. Uh, I'm also at skanon.com, uh, where you can see all my film reviews. Um, Movies.ie, where you can see some of my interviews. If you actually go onto YouTube and type in Movies Ireland, you can see my interview with Brad Bird and John Walker. I remembered that I did that. That was nice. <laughs> It's been a very long three years, Graham. It has. Uh, and then uh, I am on Instagram. Uh, currently, as of this recording, I am working my way through Inktober. Uh, today's Aww. theme... Uh, we've seen the photos, by the way. You, myself and Dee have seen a couple of these. They're lovely. Oh, no, they are. They're, they're absolutely lovely. They're, no, uh, well, you showed them and, and we kind of, we saw them. Yeah, you showed them to us. Yeah, uh, really today's nice. theme is tempting. Uh, so I drew Hal Brand from um, Rings of Power. People who know will know. And yeah, so Sexy. that's kind of. <laughs> listen, listen. Evils never looked so good, you know. You mentioned that they spent like billions or whatever. Seven hundred and fifteen million dollars yeah, on the first across come... across however oh many gosh. seasons, five seasons a day. No, well, that's one season. That's one season. What? That was one the... season. Yeah. Sorry. I can't sorry. hear you, Graham. What did you say? You need sorry. to go louder. You need to... Sorry. <laughs> Can you go louder? D was ready to fall asleep, and I ruined it. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. They spent all that. They couldn't yeah. buy the rights to the... Yeah, to the Silver Area. Yeah, yeah, but no one can. The Tolkien estate won't let anyone take it. That's why. They can't say Hobbit. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, they have to say Harfoot. Yeah, they have it's to say fine. Harfoot. Anyway, we're getting off point. We're getting off point. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, so, and you can follow the podcast at After250. We're on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and iTunes. If you've enjoyed us, please feel free to leave a review, uh, rate, review, subscribe, all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, we'll be back next week, continuing and wrapping up our bird watching season, looking at Brad Bird's third film, his highest ranked film on the 250, a movie I have not revisited in quite a while, a decade and a half. Yeah, me too. It is Ratatouille. So take it out. Check it out, guys. Graham D, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Thanks guys. So much. Thanks, Bye. guys. Bye, guys. Chat soon. Bye. Bye.